Welcome to the fight with Teddy Atlas. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by 18-time world champion trainer, the great Teddy Atlas. Teddy, how you doing? Good, Ken. Happy Halloween. I know it's belated, but um, I saw the beautiful picture <laughs> uh, yesterday of you and your beautiful family out there having fun, and you guys had great costumes. Your wife, not you, did a great job <laughs> um, with those costumes. Tremendous. And... Um, they all look great, all your kids. My grandchildren, they look good too. We went trick-or-treating, had fun with them. Uh, actually, my grandson changed costumes. I, he's, the, he's really advanced. He, he, was, <laughs> he was a dragon early and then a tiger late. Nice. So he went into it all, and, and you won. Did you, did you win uh, for your costume? Did you win the award? Uh, as far as I'm concerned, we did. I don't think there was any official recognition. Oh, I thought there was. <laughs> I thought there was. I thought you should have won. Um, this Thank you. I appreciate been, it. it. It's kind of like that That great uh, television sitcom. Remember The Honeymooners? Do you go back that far? Yeah, of course. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. With Jackie Gleason, you know, those guys. Ed Norton. Yeah. Uh, Ed Norton, I remember. It was Halloween. They were at the dance. They were having a costume uh, contest, and Ralph Crampton is wearing this thing that's like a human like uh, pinball machine or something, right? <laughs> yeah. They didn't even know what he was. They thought he was like the man from the future. But anyway, it was a pinball machine. And so he was about to win. And then at the last second, who comes crashing into the party at the last second? He couldn't make it. And Ralph was kind of glad he couldn't make it because he had an emergency in the sewer because, of course, Ed Norton worked in the sewer. He comes rushing in with a gas mask on, and they said, wait a minute, they're about, they're, they're about to give it to Ralph Crampton. They said, wait a minute, uh, here's the winner, Ed Norton. <laughs> <laughs> and and it, for the man from space, and all it was was he was wearing his mask because he was in the sewer, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was he was coming from work, and uh, Ralph wasn't happy, you know. Ralph Ralph wasn't happy, but no, I think that uh, I think you should have at the last second they should have had an award, but that let's get to it, everybody. Uh, I hope everybody out there had a good Halloween, a safe Halloween, and uh, shared shared love with their with their loved ones. Shared a good day with their loved ones, and and showed just showed good just good camaraderie with everybody. It's a that's just good thing about Halloween. Forget about just getting the candy. That's the thing. I get it. Um, for the kids and but being together with your family doing something with your family and then everybody being able to sort of have a rapport with their neighbors or strangers because everybody is whether it's the people giving the candy or the people with their kids knocking on the door for trick-or-treat everybody has just a nice way about them and knowing that today we all care about each other Today it's about the kids. Today it's about family. Today it's about humanity, and that was to me that's that that's a fun holiday that has taken on more significance in the unfun times that we live in now. That it does give you a chance to say hello to your neighbors, to say hello to strangers, 
to all be on the same page, you know, caring about your kids, just caring about having a nice day, caring about saying thank you to somebody. So I just want to, I wish we had more Halloweens, I guess is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I'm with you. Well, let's get into the action. There was a lot of uh, lot of fights last night and over the weekend. Um, let's kick it off with the uh, early fights in the UK. The uh, zone card: Alexander Usyk against Derek Warchesora. For me, this fight lived up to expectation. I enjoyed it thoroughly. You had one guy who was clearly tough and ready to fight, and one guy who was an elite boxer and just kept moving outboxed him, had crazy footwork, and uh, obviously the boxer being Alexander Usyk, Olympic gold medalist, unified cruiserweight champion. I think at times the size difference was apparent with Chisoro swinging for the fences. But the one thing that I noticed, and I'm curious to hear your take on this, was I loved the way Usyk used his footwork, but more importantly, did you notice the way he changed the paces of his punches? He would be like, pop, 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 bang! He would, to, to use one of your expressions, he would throw all of his punches were at different speeds. He'd throw a quick combination, then he'd tap him with a jab, then he'd hit him with like three or four super hard, fast punches. I loved the way he changed it up and kept Derek guessing. And he had him out at one point, I think maybe in the seven, sixth, seventh, eighth round, he had him like, I think Chisora was saved by the bell. He had him on Queer Street and um, the bell rang and Chisora came back out to his credit. He rallied. But love to hear your thoughts on this one. Um, I, I love this fight. Yeah. Thanks for crediting me for one of my sayings. Appreciate that. It's it's always <laughs> good manners and um, caring about people is so so greatly appreciated. Uh, I know by me, more so every day. Uh, it seems, but as far as the fight, I think you did a good job setting it up, and just what you touched. Which you touched on right there. He was like a pitcher. I remember Greg Maddox. You remember Maddox, the the pitcher? I think it was with the Atlanta Braves. He might have been with the Chicago Cubs years ago. Yeah, that's a perfect analogy. Yeah, you know. That's what it reminded me of. Yeah, he changed speeds all the time. You know, he couldn't throw a fastball past probably, probably past 83, 84 miles an hour, which for the big leaders league, you know, that's that's not a top fastball. Um, nowadays they're over 90. Uh, some of them go up to 100 miles per hour. But he was a great pitcher, Hall of Fame pitcher, I believe. But it's because he could change paces, keep you off balance. And that's what you're describing there, Ken, and that's a good job by you because he did that. He threw easy and then he threw hard. And those are the subtleties of the sweet science. And when we we predicted who was going to win for my bookie, you know, saying who will we take. And I took, obviously, I didn't think it was a hard pick, but it turned out to be a harder fight. But I picked uh, Yusik to win a unanimous decision. I thought he might have to even possibly stop him late, but most likely a unanimous decision. And he almost did stop him. Yeah, yeah. Hey guys, want to take a minute to give a shout out to one of our sponsors. Uh, full disclosure, I'm an investor in this company. I've used the product. I like it so much. I actually invested with them. Um, PowerDot, it promotes circulation to help muscles recover quickly between fights and workouts. Uh, relieves pain by stimulating nerves. It's an excellent rehab tool for injuries. So if you have a knee or an ankle or a shoulder injury and you want to work the muscles around the injured joint, 
This device basically stimulates the soft tissue around the injury, preventing you from having to put load on the injured joint. It's invaluable for recovery from injuries for sure, and it's an awesome recovery tool. Like I said, I've been using this thing for a long time. Lance Armstrong turned me on to it a couple of years ago. Um, one of the new features is the Smart Recovery. They integrate with Strava and Apple Health, tracks your workouts, and provides customized recovery programs based on your personal activities, pulling in all the data from Apple Health and Strava invaluable if, you, if you're into working out and you use those tools already you can probably appreciate how significant that is um, it guides you through each program the app is incredibly intuitive athletes love this thing it's used by some of the world's top athletes uh, I personally gave this to Dustin Poirier Regis Progre they love it I mean a lot of different athletes from a lot of different sports I know have used this product successfully uh, our suggestion from the fight with Teddy Alice is that you try the pro bundle you get the duo plus three extra sets of pads. It stimulates two areas at once. Spend less to help, which will lead to you spending less time recovering. Save $25 plus an additional 20% off with the promo code ATLAS, A-T-L-A-S. Additionally, they'll give you a 30-day money-back guarantee. If you don't see results and you don't like the product in the first 30 days, send it back. No questions asked. Full refund. Again, PowerDot's giving 20% off to all listeners of the uh, with the code ATLAS. Do your body a favor. Go to PowerDot.com slash ATLAS and experience personalized muscle recovery. And and I talked about the comparison with him and Holyfield where they he's got a chance to win a heavyweight title. A lot of people thought he was too small, but very similar to Holyfield coming up from cruiserweight. Both of them were the greatest cruiserweights ever. They they you know, consolidated all the cruiserweight titles. Holyfield was the greatest cruiserweight ever. And Music is probably number two. And they go up and Holyfield was able to do what most people didn't think a smaller guy could do, win a heavyweight title because of his character, his toughness, uh, other things, his offensive abilities, his his smarts. Uh, he, he made being a smaller guy an advantage uh, with some of the bigger guys who were more cumbersome. But... And, and he had a great chin. And Usyk, not that you want to find out, but he found out he had a pretty good chin. But And, and he knew how to win. Holyfield knew how to win. Usyk knows how to win. But I said that his passageway um, to the heavyweight title will be through the legs if he wins it because he's got better legs than the bigger guys. And that's where he can make up for his, if you want to call it shortcomings, with his lack of size. That's, that's where he can, you know, even the playing field. Uh, by having legs to move around the bigger guys, keep the bigger guys off. And, and the scouting report, I think, that we put forward was right on the button, that he was he was going to get tested this time. The first the first fight that he had as a heavyweight against Witherspoon, Ken, it was it was like it was like a gift. I'm not knocking Witherspoon. I don't knock fighters, but I tell the truth. It was it was like when you go to one of these events, one of these big black tie dinners you know the one you like you're going to tonight probably and you you go to these and and they I'm socially give, distancing teddy you know that oh yeah I, i'm sorry and i'm in la 
Yes, yes. Slash you, socialist slash communist environment. <laughs> if I go outside without a mask, no, someone no, will stab no, you, me. No, you would, you would be um, shot on the spot. My neighbors will, <laughs> my neighbors will call the uh, the social distance police on me. And be like, we've got a man up here without a mask. Send the team. Send the troopers. <laughs> no, you're right. You'd, you'd be hanging from a phone pole. You're uh, <laughs> upside down. You would. I'm and just then, kidding. I just, I'm just kidding. Uh, I actually love my neighbors. Most of them are on the same page. But there is a general vibe here of if you don't wear a mask, we will kill you. Yeah, I mean, uh, it would be, I wouldn't want that to happen <laughs> at all. But, where, you know, he um, he went into this, he, he went into this, when, when he got his first heavyweight, you know, touch of the waters, putting his foot in the waters, they did give him an uh, easy one, okay? Uh, and, and the point I was making is if you go to these events on your table, you pay a lot of money. So on your table, they leave you a gift. You know, you get some kind of whatever. A goodie bag. Of, yeah, some kind of goodie bag. And that's kind of what Witherspoon was. He was a he was like a, a gift. A, they call them favors, right? It was like yeah. getting a, a favor, a party favor for coming to the heavyweight dance. <laughs> like okay yeah. you you showed up you came to the heavyweight dance we we have to give you you know uh, initially for the first one uh, a gift a, a heavyweight goodie bag and they gave it to him and this was a real test this was the next and after that okay you got that one now you have to find out if you really can belong and that's what this one was about ken and and for Usyk himself privately, finding out, answering some questions. We all have questions. You go to a new company, you go to a new job, you get a, you get a raise, you get a promotion. You know, some people are afraid of the promotion. They they say no, even though they're going to make more money because they're afraid of the extra responsibility. They're not sure if they can handle it. That's that's that happens in life, and. This was to let him know and answer some of those questions. Him being Usyk. Can you handle it? Are you ready for these bigger guys? Can you swim in the ocean with the bigger fish? And the answer was, yeah. But it's not going to it's not gonna be with a backstroke. You're going to have to be a dolphin. You're going to have to know how to swim and dart in and out. You know, get around those those. Those big whales, get around those killer sharks, you know, get around those makos, get around those great white sharks. You're going to have to know how to maneuver. And that's what this was about, answering questions for you, Sick. Can you belong in the heavyweight waters? And what he, what he showed me was he knows how to win. He showed me the confidence. He showed me that, as you touched on and I touched on before the fight, his legs that could give him an advantage. And and look, the scouting report we gave was spot on. Uh, what did I say? Chisora, big guy, you know, 37 years old, 36, 37 years old. I think he's going to be 37 of, in a couple of weeks, whatever. Uh, a lot of miles on the odometer, strong physically, wide punches, one-dimensional, slow feet, squares up, gives you a lot of target to hit, but aggressive and a lot of heart. And that's what he was. And I thought that Usyk would outmaneuver him, outbox him. And I thought he had options. Here's the bad, and he's going to have to correct it. 
he got caught a lot of punches early. A matter of fact, I thought that Usyk lost the first two rounds. He got blitzed a little bit. And you can't get blitzed in a heavyweight division because when you get blitzed, Ken, in heavy, you, you might not be around uh, to, to fix it in the third round or the second yep. round. Yep. It might Good be point. over. And that, that, that's what he's got to be cognizant of. He got hit too many clean punches early and, and throughout the fight, to be quite frank. And he got hit too many right hands. Uh, you know, he's a southpaw, so the punch you're going to expect, he being Usyk, the punch you're going to expect to come at you is the right hand. These were looping right hands, and they landed. And they landed too often. And that concerned me because they didn't correct it in the corner. And he's got good people, I know that. But they didn't correct it because what he was, and maybe it was a feeling out. Maybe it was an adjustment to the heavyweights in the way that I'm about to point out where he didn't understand the distance. You're going from cruiserweight to heavyweight. The guys are bigger and they're longer. See, that's the thing no one talks about. They're bigger. Yeah, we know that. You know, to they're, they're on the scale, they're bigger, more massive. But they're longer, too, because they're bigger. And the distance where you're out of range is not this, with a cruiserweight. It's not the same distance that you're out of range with a heavyweight. And to me, that if I was calling a fight, doing a broadcast, I would have talked about that immediately and say, you know what? He's not negotiating the difference of, distance here where he normally would be out of range he's not out of range and he got caught pulling back now the bad news he got caught pulling back with right hands a lot the good news is that's the main thing he got caught with so if it's one thing you could correct it that's the good news but you better correct it you better correct it and again he got caught pulling back doing the same thing wrong and i would have liked to have seen that corrected a little earlier to be honest. And there was another reason he got caught. Again, a reasonable expectation for me in the corner to have corrected that and it wasn't corrected. He kept getting hit with right hands also because he kept moving into him. He kept moving to his left, which is the right, of course, of Tresora. He kept moving the wrong direction. The only thing he had to worry about was right hands for the most part. Nothing else was was doing damage to him or was threatening him. And what did he do? He kept moving to the same side, to his left, to the right of Tresor, into the right hand. Instead of moving to his right, the left of Tresor, away from the right hand. That should have been done because we know he's got wheels. He uses wheels. But the direction, the steering wheel, the wheels were fine. <laughs> the steering wheel was a little messed up because it was steering... <laughs> It was still in the wrong direction. You know, that's when you need somebody on your shoulder. That way, boss. <laughs> that, <laughs> that way, boss. There's a lot of traffic this way, and we're getting hit with it. That way, boss. So those are the things that I think they need to correct. I would have liked to have seen correct during the actual fight a little more, to be honest with you. Um, the other thing is I give all the credit to Tresor. showed a lot of heart. A lot of hard. And he came ready. He came in shape. Uh, you know, he got gassed a little and then he found this uh, other wind. Uh, he, he, he did show the miles on the O'Donnell, but, but not, he overcame it. Like he made a pit stop. He went in, got a quick tune up, uh, you know, in the, 
in the pit stop area. I didn't know they had pit stop areas, Ken, uh, in fights. But, Look like but, he got four new tires uh, and a tank of gas. Yeah, he did. He, he got, and that was allowed. He was a little bit allowed to do that, a little bit, because Usyk kind of gave him certain rounds where all of a sudden when you thought he was going to possibly finish him, you know, take him off the road if you want to stay with these analogies, he he suddenly let him coast. You know, he didn't he didn't put the pedal to the metal. He he let him coast and recover a little bit. Where I thought that he made a strategic boo-boo music was there was a spot towards the middle late part of the fight where he didn't he didn't have to move as much anymore. I thought he was moving too much. I thought he was moving a lot and still getting caught because again he was pulling straight back. But he was, I get the idea of moving. That's one of the options to fight a, a bigger guy, strong guy. Keep him off balance, kind of like Fury did, right? He, he did that with Wilder, the first fight. And keep him off balance. Then the second fight, Fury did the other thing you could do. A lot of people don't like to do it. There's more danger, they think, anyway, if you don't do it right. Back him up. Back up, because both of them are to get the same effect, the same results. What? To keep the guy from being set to punch. You gave, keep him going backwards, he's not set. Keep him changing, his, moving his feet where you're giving him angles, he's not set. Either one. You, your choice how you do it. But the other options that were there, the other options that were there for Usyk was slow down a little bit. There came a point where I'm watching, I was getting a little dizzy. And and I'm saying, look, I know you got good wheels, but now it's like you're showing off. Like it's like it's unnecessary. Some of it was unnecessary. Now it was like settle down. You could step to the sides, but be ready to punch because it's time to be ready to punch more. Because the guy now was ready, slowing down himself, the guy being obviously Chisora. And he was looking to close the gap. We know that. He's aggressive. And the only way he was able to close the gap was if you're moving and he knows you can't punch, he's going to close the gap. Or when you settle down if you're not punching. And there were times there where all I would have told Usyk was, move your freaking hands. Move your hands. You set yourself, which he was starting to do more, and now... Don't let the guy close the gap. You can hit him before he close. The only way he closes the gap is if you don't move your hands. And just move. It, it's kind of like in military terms. If you watch a movie and you're watching the military side that's trying to, they're trying to invade the fort. And they got to go across that grassy field to get to the fort. As they go across the grassy field, it's really up to the people in the fort what's going to happen. And the people in the fort in this case was Usyk because the troops that were coming was Chisora. So it was just a matter, just like it is when you watch these military films, where he's got to be allowed to cross the field. If the archers with the bow and arrows release their the arrows, they're not getting across the field. But if they don't release their arrows, 
They're getting to the fort. They're getting to the fort. And that's the way I looked at it, where I'm watching it. And if I'm in the court, I'm saying, listen, okay, now we could step, we keep the right distance. You don't have to move as much. The guy's got to close to the, the gap. He's got to come across the field to the fort. Let your hands go. Let the arrows go. If you let them go, he can't close. He can't close if you let him go. And he didn't let his hands go enough. Now, look, I'm not here to make excuses. I'm here to point things out that normally might not get pointed out. That's what I'm here for. But maybe Chisora, or I, I meant to say Usyk, mentally, he wasn't, you know, it's only his second fight at the heavyweight waters, right? Yep. So maybe, Ken, he wasn't ready, confident enough, ready to be sure that he could do that yet. You know, to do that with a big guy, a strong guy, an experienced guy, an aggressive guy, and know that he had to go 12 rounds. Maybe maybe there was some stuff going on in his head because there's always stuff going on in people's heads when you get to these levels. It's 75% mental. And maybe in his head... He's thinking, I got to save something. He's thinking, I better be more careful. When the truth was, by being too careful, too respectful, too cautious, whatever you want to call it, that's dangerous. Because now you're letting the guy close. Actually letting your hands go. And this is a good, I want this to be a message for you people out there in the, in the world that have nothing to do with getting in the ring for a living. That whatever you do, sometimes you get to a point where you're thinking, oh, I better not do this. You know, my boss, this, my, my position, I better be safe. By being safe, it's the most dangerous thing you could do. Because you, if you're doing it right, sometimes it comes a time where you got to take a risk. Where, but it's not really a risk. It's calculated. It's developed. It's planned. It's something that you'll you know how to do. It's responsible. It's the right thing to do. But you're being too careful. And the truth is, by being careful, that's risky. That's the risk to your family and to your livelihood and to your career. That's the risk. And so it was, I saw that, and he should have let his hands go. But that's something that with a good trainer, and I know he's got good people, and with the experience of it, he's a sharp guy, he's a gold medalist. Here, pick that up. You know, just from the experience of going through it. Here, pick that up. Here, know that. But those are the things. That's giving you a full x-ray, if you will, which is what we try to do over here, right, um, of, of everything that I, that I saw that went on in that ring. And... Uh, you know, he won the fight. I don't think there was any controversy. I applaud the class. I'll say it again. I applaud the class and character of Chisora afterwards in a post-fight interview, um, the way he spoke. You know, he's a competitive guy. He thinks he, he won, but he spoke like not only like a gentleman, like a good human being, you know, talking about we need to be better to each other out there. You know, you you need to care more about each other. I mean, he, this is a guy who just got disappointed in a fight, and he's talking about other people and other people's feelings. That's a good person. And then yeah. I loved, uh, you know, the manager. Um, uh, Agus. Agus. Oh, David Hay. Yeah, yeah. 
uh, Agus, the manager of 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 uh, Usyk. Of uh, Usyk, yeah. yeah he, he put the manager out, of Chisora. Yeah, of course. He and uh, David Hay was a good heavyweight. He put up he put up a a post, a video post uh, on Instagram. Did, on Instagram. And I really got a kick out of it. They were in the locker room afterwards, and you could see that Chisora had come to the locker room of of um, Usyk, and he asked him to sign some gloves. And of course, Usyk was looked like they were his fight gloves. By the way, they yeah, you're right. They probably were because they were white, right? That's what yep. they were wearing, right? And I yeah, you're right. And so he signs the gloves to him, being a gentleman, and of course Chisora being a gentleman, he signs them, and then after he signs them. All of a sudden, <laughs> I got a kick out of it. All of a sudden, Chisora says, I hope you guys are hungry. And you know how it is. After a fight, everyone's hungry because you oh, haven't yeah. eaten since, like, forget about it, right? Yeah. I mean, you haven't eaten for probably eight hours, uh, yep. nine hours. It's because your last meal is usually five hours before the fight. And here you are all those hours later. So everyone's starving. And he knows that. And all of a sudden, he says, I hope you guys are hungry. And he pulls out a couple bagfuls of Five Guy Burgers. <laughs> I don't know how you find Five Guy Burgers. There I it didn't is. Even, uh, there it is. That's my man, Rob. He's he's best producer in the West and the East. Um, <laughs> yeah, there they are. <laughs> you can see. You can see that uh, Yusik is enjoying it. You know, his, his, his jaw is not swollen from a punch. It's full of a Five Guy's Burger um, <laughs> is, is what it is. And... It was just a nice gesture. It really was to see guys. One minute they're doing battle. There it is. There it is, guys. You know what I mean? There's. We need more of this. There it is. You're you're doing battle. You know, one minute, just like with this election coming up, you're doing battle. You have both sides have their own views, their own thoughts, their own desires, their own wants. But then it's over. And you respect each other. And that's that's just beautiful. And I always say there's nothing like it in boxing. Boxing could teach the world. Could teach the world. Because there's no color. There's no religion. There's no ethnicity. There's, there's just two men. And at the end of the day, they respect each other. They admire each other. They even love each other. Why? When they were trying to take each other's heads off before. Because they were doing their jobs to try to make it in a business that that's their job. But when it's over, they reflect, they understand, they appreciate, they realize what each went through, what each had to face, the dangers, the fear, the threat, the possibility that they could get hurt, um, that they, they, they acknowledge that they were the same. They were the same. They they bleed red. They were, they really were put here by by the same God, whatever you believe in, and nature. There there's for that moment for those thirty six minutes in that ring in a twelve round fight. They're the same. They're two human beings that want to get to a better place for their families and themselves, and that have the same feelings that we all have. Fear, inhibition, doubt, pride, hope, dream, all of that. 
and they know what each face. So when it's over, they hug each other in the most genuine way on this planet. In the most gen, where there's none of those things that I talked about before, the prejudice or nothing, only admiration and respect for what each went through, knowing what they went through, knowing what they felt, knowing that if I felt this way, he felt this way. I had doubts. I had trouble getting in this ring because of my doubts. I had to put that aside. I had inhibitions. When I was a kid, I had things against me. All the things that we can all have. And I know what he went through. And I know what I went through. And that's one moment where we're all brothers. We're all truly brothers. Because we shared that space. That space that we really share in life all the time. With our doubts and our, you know, the things that we think are so different. At that one moment, we realize, oh no, we're not that different. Oh no, we all want the same thing. We all feel the same thing. We all cry the same way. We all wonder in the same dimensions of, can I do this? What if I don't do this? All of those things we share. We truly are brothers and sisters. And that's a reminder that we are. And that's the greatness. One of the parts of the sport that I recognize is the greatness of the sport. And I just wanted to say that. I didn't think I was going to talk about that today. But when I saw those pictures, after I mentioned about the hamburgers, and I saw those pictures up there, it took me there. Because it was the only place to go. You know what that reminded me of, Teddy? After the um, Vosdick better Biev fight, <clears throat> obviously incredibly disappointing for um, us on, on in Alexander Vosdick's locker room. But for those who don't know, when you win a title belt from another guy, that's his belt. It has his picture on it. And better Biev came in the locker room. Congratulations, blah, blah, blah. He was flying back to Russia. Obviously, he's Russian. Alex is, is Ukrainian. And he said, I think he said, and I'm not 100% sure, that he was going back to Russia and it was going to see uh, Putin. And he asked Alex, Alex, would it be possible for me to take the belt and send it back to you after my trip? And obviously, the disappointment is inexplainable. It's, it, it, unless you've been there, it's, it's, it's the worst. But Alex is such a gentleman. He said, yep, you can take my belt. Just send it back when you're done with it and ship it back to me, please, which he did. But I thought that was like the, uh, to, your, to the, all the points you just made, like two gentlemen asking each other for a favor. Who the hell wants to give their belt? You know, you've just lost the title, but you still have your, that belt is yours. And uh, I just thought that was an incredibly kind gesture for Alex to let this guy take, to let Better Be Up take his belt and um, go back to Russia with it. But in high, it was the right thing to do, and credit to Alex for being the gentleman and letting him do that. But that's what I thought of when I saw Usyk and, and, and um, Chisora. You're, you're on the mark, 100%. And um, you, said it, you said it the right way. I'll, I'll just finish with the fight that um, I still believe that Usyk, I still believe that Usyk will win a world title at heavyweight. I know that you could go the other way. You could go either way off of that, but I, I believe he will. Um, I think his legs will give him that opportunity, his experience with winning, uh, his mind, his intelligence, 
the one place where I think that he wouldn't have that advantage would be against Fury. To be honest. I was going to say, I was thinking the same thing. Fury is just so big and has the ability to yeah. blitz like Chisora does with the boxing ability, whereas I don't think Anthony Joshua, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think that Joshua has that Chisora mindset to go and get you. I think he's more of a boxer like Usyk, and I and I think that that would be, a, of the two, Usyk has a better chance with Joshua. They said afterwards Joshua like liked what he saw, and you know it's all posturing, but... He's now the mandatory for um, one of the belts, maybe WBO, which um, Joshua holds. So it will be interesting to see what happens there. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, listen, Wilder would be dangerous too because if Wilder caught him one of those punches, pull him back, it could be a different result. You know? But, but of the but three, they, I think Wilder's boxing skills are the lowest. Oh, the no, lowest. no. They, they, I, 100%. And you've, listen, you people out there have heard that on this program before. So... You know that. Um, we we don't hide from what we believe. But otherwise, what's the sense of doing a damn show? But, um, yeah, I, I think uh, Fury, the, like you said, Fury, the problem with Fury is he's got good legs. <laughs> he's got he, he's got good legs, too, and he's got good yeah. technique, too. But he's, like, bigger. Much bigger. With those techniques. It's kind of like when you see... You've been through this. You played football in college. Can a lot of people don't realize that? And it's like you're you're good at a certain level. You know, you're you're good at let's just say like uh, at, at your local level, and you might be a really good player, really good. And then all of a sudden, you get a chance to go and say get called to give a try at say Ohio State or Alabama. And now you're going from your level where you were pretty damn good to now guys that are just as good, better, I mean, faster, better, but 10 times bigger, bigger, stronger. They're the same things like you had all these skill levels, but now there's guys with those skill levels where you're, say, 200 pounds. There's guys with those skill levels at 260, <laughs> and they got the same skill levels, and they're faster. And you're like, that's oh the exact my. difference between Division Three and Division One is the speed of the game and the skill level, the skill positions, and like you said, size and speed. It's literally like everything's all the all the action is the same. Guys are talented, but at the next level in Division One, everyone's moving like six steps faster. They're they're like you always say about boxing. They're all good and tough, but the Division One, everyone is smart. Everyone at their position is crafty. The safety is baiting you to throw shit passes that they're going to pick off and take the other way. Whereas in Division Three, the guy might not have that awareness and skill set. But you, you hit the nail right on the head. And I think that that's the big difference with when, when he steps up against these, and not to say he can't, but when he steps up against these next level of huge, talented guys. And that's why they're doing it progressively, step by step, which this was the right step, you know, to, to get to the next step. Yep. Um, you know, the the right introduction, if you will, to what you're going to be dealing with. One thing I want to ask you before we get off the heavyweights, this is, uh, it's, it's unfortunate we have to talk about this, but I just want to bring it up because it's been all over the news. Deontay Wilder came out, um, I think, yesterday, roughly yesterday before the fight with an Instagram post claiming that um, 
I mean, he made about 20 different excuses, but some of the ones that stuck with me were um, Wilder possibly had an egg weight, which for those who don't know is a product that you hold in your hand. It's literally shaped like an egg. It's heavy. Um, and it's, you know, for shadow boxing, running, whatever. That he had an egg weight in his glove, that his hand wasn't fully in the glove. And just so we could put this glove crap to rest like Teddy can you explain how hard it would be to put something in a glove with all the commissioners and your opponent's representative watching you get wrapped and gloved up yeah well first thing I do because people expect me to I hope I think to cover all bases so I'll go back 30 years ago whatever some uh Robert tell you Robert be looking it up as I'm talking but uh a, a horrible night a horrible, a night that a living infamy in the sport of boxing, just terrible. But a night where Billy Collins, an undefeated kid, uh, was fighting in Madison Square. I was there fighting at Madison Square. And the main event, that they were the semifinals. The main event that night was Roberto Duran, the great Roberto Duran, beating Davey Moore. God bless Davey Moore. I know Davey very well. I had a fighter fight him five times in the amateurs. And he was from the Bronx, New York, Gold Glove champion. And Davey had the world title. And Roberto Duran trying to come back from that, you know, that infamous night, right, uh, yeah. of Nomas. And he finally got back. He finally got back. And he, he won a title against Davey Moore. And, but on the undercard, the cold feature that night was Billy Collins against uh, a real trial horse, workhorse, um, Workhorse fighter, a real tough guy. He was a Golden Glove champion. Uh, Louis Resto from the Bronx also. A uh, very busy guy, but like we say in the game, couldn't break an egg. But a, a, a guy, forget about or an it. Egg, or an egg weight, no pun intended. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, it's a, <laughs> there it is. Uh, we didn't know we'd get that sort of segue. But, and, egg and weight he, should send us an uh, advertising fee for advertising their exercise product. Yeah, 100%. I mean, and... So, you know, he, Louis Resto was a guy that could beat a lot of guys. You know, he had some losses, and I guess, I don't know if you call him a journeyman, a guy that tested the top guys at that point in his career. Uh, dependable. But, but a dependable guy, a real pro. And so what happens? It turns out Billy Collins loses the fight, but afterwards his father notices he's all busted up. And during the course of the fight, Billy kept saying, I, I feel his knuckles. I feel his knuckles coming through the gloves. And they, you know, they tried to do what you do in a fight. Get him off of the negative path onto the positive path. You know, thinking like a fighter. Forget that. Forget that. Come on. Let's get going. Let's get going. And Yeah, because it, as a cornerman, you wouldn't think for a minute, well, what, what, what do you mean you feel his yeah. knuckles? He's got a boxing glove on. Exactly like, watched right. him put the gloves on. Exactly. So when the fight's over, he's all busted up, you know. It's just... And, and like we said, Resto wasn't a puncher. And he's all busted up. Turns out he had every bone in his face broken. And um, he's all busted up. And, and the father's looking at him. And then they, you know, the two fighters are coming over to the corners, you know, shake hands. And the father just felt something. The father of Billy Collins, he was in the corner. He, they, Resto goes to shake hands, but he avoids the father. So the father puts his hand out and grabs Resto's hand and he squeezes it and there's no padding there. None. None. I was like, and he starts screaming, the father. Could you imagine, Ken? He starts screaming to the people in the ring, you know, the, the 
you know, the commissioners, the inspectors. Yeah, the commissioners, the inspectors come over here, come over here, come over here. And they come over and he gets the gloves taken off and make sure they're confiscated. And um, he wants them, you know, he wants them checked. It turns out that Panama Lewis, the, the trainer of Resto, had removed the padding in the locker room. And uh, there was money bet on the fight, and I guess they wanted to assure that they would win the bet. And here Rob's going to do what Rob does. He's going to show you all, everything in, in the horror of it, too. The pictures of Billy Collins after the fight, his face, uh, everything. And there's the story, you know, telling you what happened. And 1983. Yeah, that's when it was, 83. 93 to 13. What did I say? Uh, so it's 37. Yeah, 30, yep. what is it? 37 years. So yep. after that, the precaution taken was ratcheted up 400 million times. I mean, there was a time where you could possibly, obviously, it happened, right, right, Ken? And that's why Antonio, I want to point everything and, out. And then Antonio Margarito and his trainer exactly. after that that's put right. some kind of plaster of Paris-like substance on the wraps that when it got wet, it hardened. And did he do a number on Cotto's face? Oh. My God. And in the rematch, Cotto beat the shit out of him. I mean, pummeled him. Yeah. But the fact that that guy was even allowed to fight again Margarito yeah, you're after right. Doing that is it's 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 well. It should so be pointed offensive. out that Resto was never allowed to fight again, and neither was Panama Lewis to train, yeah. yep. which was the appropriate thing to do. But I'm I'm touching all bases for the people out there, just because that's what we do, and I feel that's the right thing to do, um, no matter what the evidence points to. Now, I I wanted to touch all bases because there'd be people out there on the side of water. Teddy, you're not you're not you're saying it's impossible. So I'm putting it out there that, no, it did happen. But the, the way that the rules have changed, the way that the, they go about protecting against such a thing now makes it almost just about impossible because you have inspectors. You cannot, first of all, they give you the gloves when it's just before it's time to glove up. So they keep the gloves themselves the the commission the inspectors they keep it themselves right and then they give it to you just you know a certain amount of time before the fight and then they don't allow you to glove up until there's an inspector from the commission and somebody from the other corner watching so i think rob might even put a picture up of that you could see during that in the locker room before that fight the second fight with Fury and Wilder, you saw a representative of, uh, I believe you saw a representative, uh, I don't know if it was in that fight or there was a picture that From was out Wilder's there. From Wilder's team. Yeah, standing there. You know, standing there watching the gloving. I mean, you know, standing watching the hand wrapping, watching the gloves get put on. So that is the policy now that... The gloves are kept isolated. They're kept with the commission until just before the fight. And then when you put them on and when you wrap the hands, there's inspectors and there's somebody from the other camp there to make sure that there's no 
nothing wrong. Done. So that's number one should be understood. That it, it, it's not, there's really, there, there's not something being put in there. there, there it is at a high level now. So that's, that's the first thing. And now, again, I went beyond where I had to go. I went to where I showed that it is. And people are going to use my words against me. No, you're not. I know what I said. It, it has happened. Yes. I'm just saying now for it to happen, it's a whole different level of security. And things put in place. Teddy, don't the commissioners also take the, um, and there's a picture on the screen of Wilder's um, representatives watching Fury's hands get wrapped and eventually watching his gloves go on. Yeah, they, but, there they are right there. But don't, at, at the, as soon as the fight is over, doesn't the commission take the gloves off the fighter themselves and inspect them again before the, a fighter is allowed to take yes, the gloves off? Yes, yes, and they initial them. You initial them to make yep. sure that there was no tampering. They, you initial them, they put tape over it. When you tape over it, they, they draw on the tape to show that the tape couldn't be replaced. So all those precautions are taken. Basically, you would have to blame yourself a little bit if something was put in there because you just exactly. saw the picture, right? You just saw the picture. And, and he, had, he had his people there watching. So now listen, I will not argue that his glove, there's pictures of his glove looking flimsy, and, and, and almost unattached. I will not argue that. I will argue that there's a, a horseshoe in there or, or a piece of metal in there or anything like that. I'll argue that. Because if it was flimsy and there was something in there, you would have saw it bouncing. It would have been bouncing around and it would have been making some indent, uh, you know, indentation, indentation uh, in the glove where you would have recognized something like, what the, what's going on in there? What are they... Got golf balls in there, but no. So, but I will admit that you know it looked like a flimsy sort of glove. That and and what can do that? In one way, you could hurt your hand with that. Yep. Let's point everything out. Could you slap the guy in the face and slap slap him and then set up use that to set up another punch? I guess you could. I guess you could. All right, uh, but. You could also break your wrist. Uh, you also have less of a fist, less of a solid fist to hit somebody with. There's more of a risk of breaking your hand. Um, and also, it's not for power. That That's not going to help you with power. Having a, having a, a limp, the way I'm trying to illustrate it here, having a limp glove, right, and a limp hand, yeah. and you're doing this, that's not going to induce power. That's not going to enhance power. So could it, again, could it slap the guy? You want to make that kind of, uh, you want to go there? Uh, okay. But, um, so I, I can't speak a thousand percent on that. But I can speak close to a thousand percent on that there was nothing put in the glove. And, and then when he went to the point of saying, well, you take it from there, Ken, because that's not the end of it. The, I mean, he, he actually went down a litany of things that he started to say that were done against him without any real proof. Yeah, it, it's, it's actually quite sad because then today I think he came out and um, 
Michael Benson says that he hears from Deontay Wilder. Michael Benson tweeted this out. It said, Deontay Wilder's quote, My water was spiked as if I took a muscle relaxer or something like that. My water was tampered with. It was like I had no control over my body. My legs were weak. I think Mark Breland's got something to do with my water as well, too. And, and, and when he put out his rant about the gloves, he also said he had an incompetent trainer who threw in the towel. And to me, it looked like he had only one person that actually cared about him, who actually actually had experience as a fighter who's been in prize fights, who knew what was happening, and that was Mark Mark Breland. But you take it from there. I Listen, I, I'm going to repeat what I said months ago when, when this was, you know, f- new and when it first happened. Mark Breland's the only guy who cared about him in that corner. He, he was getting knocked out. Out. Yes, 100%. Out. He had just gotten hit a right hand. Fury took a fighter's move, a fighter's move back, and then he was coming back in when he got stopped. He was, and he was going to come back in and crack a guy that was basically defenseless, just waiting to get cracked. So he was getting knocked out cold. Maybe they should have let it happen and see what happened. But you don't want to do that if you think a guy could get hurt. So part of the responsibility of trainers is to get him ready to win a fight, but to make sure that he looks out for him during the course of a fight if he can't win a fight or if he feels he can't and he's at a perilous position that he needs to be looked out for. So I take umbrage with that. I do. I know Mark Rilland, oh, Jesus, over 40 years when he was the legend of New York Cone Gloves, won about five of them. Uh, people actually pulled out of the gloves not to face him. I mean, he was just a... <laughs> Yeah, he was a he was like Tyson was later in the amateurs. People would pull out of tournaments not to face Tyson in the nationals, and that's what it was like with Breland. He was knocking everybody out with that right hand. Uh, tall, skinny guy, six foot three, whatever, and a welterweight. He was like a Tommy Hearns, and you know he uh, he was a gold medalist in the Olympics. He wound up winning a welterweight world title in the pros. I mean, this is a guy that understands what needs to be understood when you work in a corner of all the things that to look out for that can happen and what your responsibilities should be. And, you know, he he's a good human being. He's a very quiet guy, sometimes too quiet, to be honest. You can hardly hear him. But that's his, that, that's his personality. Nowadays, as I get older, I kind of like that um, personality more and more. Uh, quiet people. <laughs> I, I, I'm in love with that, actually. <laughs> you know, uh, just a quiet, decent guy. And I took, I, I, it bothered me when he said he was disloyal to him because to me, again, he was the one guy that was loyal, looking out for him, saved, saved him from maybe getting hurt. Teddy, it's one thing to be upset that he threw in the towel. You can kind of understand. Okay, you're a little bit upset. But after the dust settles and you've had time to think about it, to then fire the guy months later, which is what he did, now to say that Mark Breland might have spiked his water? Come on, Deontay Wilder. I think, it like, speaks to, I think it speaks to Wilder's character rather than Breland's. But that's just, I'm just saying. And yeah. I, I, I'm not there. I get, but I, I'm gonna, I said it. Um, I think it speaks because I think that Breland's character is spoken for already. He's... He's lived a good life. Um, he's been a champion, amateur, pro. Uh, he 
up to that point, he did an excellent job with Wilder, got him to a world title and all those defenses. There was no complaints about him. So now yeah, all of a sudden... That's a good you point. Know, you, you know, now all of a sudden, you don't know about people to, to they're tested, whether they're friends, whether they're whatever. You don't know to they're tested. This was a test where it wasn't so comfortable. And all of a sudden, maybe, maybe he was a scapegoat. He, uh, it happens. Human beings, you know, the first time that he's tested... What happens? He uh, he gets a scapegoat. Uh, he 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 puts the blame on someone else. I'm just going by evidence in front of me. I'm again. I'm not trying to say that I'm. I know everything about this guy, but I'm just saying I'm going by what is being available to me, by acts, by behavior, by history, by past. So then, for him to. For him to make that kind of ugly accusation that he spiked his water, uh, that's that's troublesome. That's troublesome. Keep in mind, this all started, Teddy, with the heavy uh, bodysuit, the, the heavy, heavy um, costume he wore into the round. That was the first one. I mean, that was the first thing he used as an excuse that the bodysuit was 45 pounds, if I remember. On a guy who's uh, 230, 40 pounds, a 40 pounds. First of suit. all, it was his choice to wear the bodysuit. Bingo. It, was, it wasn't Mark Freeland's. You know, Mark Freeland's didn't design it. You know, it was his choice to wear it. And he wears it. And, and then afterwards, he said the bodysuit was the thing that fatigued me, that drained me. Uh, you know, so he goes from that. To these excuses or these these reasons for his failure now, you know, it, it advances to this, you know, from that to this. Um, so I, I tell you, it, it's it's a lot of stuff, conspiracy stuff. Uh, it's something that Oliver Stone, the great director, might be interested in. Who knows? Uh, you know, he's the one who did the Kennedy uh, assassination movie with all the different conspiracy theories. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe Oliver Stone would find uh, find uh, uh, some of these conspiracies worth uh, looking at to possibly uh, delve into for a movie. Uh, I I don't know, but again, it's it's I joke around, but it's sad. It's it's ugly. It's gotten really ugly that you're saying these kind of things about Breland, who still makes a living in this business. Let's not forget that, Ken. Still yeah. makes a living as a trainer in this business. And that this is what he's got to defend. He's got to defend those kind of accusations. The worst, the worst that you could throw at somebody in this business, at somebody in any business, that they, they went and conspired against you and and did something to not only have you lose but to threaten your life uh it, it's it's very unfortunate it, it's it's ugly all of these big fighters teddy you know they all work with pr people these people who are experts in like getting the message out there handling press press engagements you don't i just can't believe that a press that a that a pr agent doesn't sit down and say Dude, we got to put out the fire here. Just accept responsibility and be like, you know what? It wasn't my night. No excuses. He got me. We have a rematch clause. I'm going to get him in the rematch. The end. 
No one would, he wouldn't even be, no one would be critical of him at all. Yeah, yep, yep, you got outboxed. Let's see how you're doing the rematch. You have a rematch clause. Why even bother with all this other bullshit? It well, takes I mean, away from everyone. I agree. Look, we just watched recently two examples of the other way. We yep. saw Trezor. I just went out of my way to do what I felt I needed to do. When I need to criticize someone, I do it. Because... I think the truth has to be put out there. And if we're not there to put out the truth, what the hell are we here for? Why would people choose to watch us if we're tiptoeing around things that are, are hard to face, that are uncomfortable to face, that are going to make somebody not like you, right? Yep. yep. And there's enough people out in my business that do that, writers and judges and promoters and commentators, to be honest. Uh, they 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 don't want anyone mad at them, so they they sit in the fence or they keep their mouth shut. When they really their job is to not keep their mouth shut, but that they got to deal with that, and that's what that's what it is. But we got to deal with what we feel is important, and um, you know, we just saw Chisora, and again, I gave him credit for a reason. We just saw him lose a fight. He thought he won, but. What does he do? He talks graciously. He says, hey, you know, this is the, what it was. I, I deal with it. And then he goes in the locker room and brings hamburgers to his opponent because they knew that they shared, they shared a special moment, that they both were trying to get the same thing, a win. And they, they would both be disappointed if they didn't. And they both had a chance to get hurt. And that took precedent over everything else. And the human being came out. Nothing else. The test of character came out. And maybe in some ways that's what's coming out now, the test of character. Uh, in, in these ways, you know, that you're seeing with this. And um, it's for people to evaluate themselves. And, and if you want to evaluate it, if you care about such things, and just sit there and say, do you think it's appropriate to, to say things about this person who's been with you through all the wins, first time you really got tested, and this is, you, you grab him as a scapegoat, you know? Uh, and this is the way you react well, not just not just Mark Breland, but he's making horrible accusations against Tyson Fury as well to sit to claim that he would do that. You better know damn good and well that someone did that before you make that exact ac accusation. And the other thing to your point about Chisora and Usyk is, I thought that Fury and Wilder did great business together. They promoted an awesome fight. Regardless of the outcome, both guys made a lot of money. I thought that they, I, we talked about it on the show. I, I love the way they promoted the fight. They were gentlemen after the first fight. I, I, I really believe that they were friends and they were like playing like a wrestling act when they were getting in each other's face. And I loved it. I thought they built, they pumped up the fight. I was ready to watch it, but I loved the feeling afterwards of them respecting each other. And it's just unfortunate to have this cloud over the, um, you know, two guys sharing the ring. But listen, the we can one talk other, about this Before we finish and close this up, Ken. Yeah. Another example recently of not making excuses. Hey, we're in a tough business here, baby. Was, I just talked about Chisora. I'll talk about another guy recently. You know who it's going to be. Lomachenko. He loses a fight. He's rated as number one pound for pound, number two, whatever you, he's, he's, thought of as if not the best fight in the world for one of the top two or three fighters in the world by everybody 
he goes and loses a fight, right? Loses a fight to Lopez. And there's controversy with the scoring, especially the 119-109. I mean, let's not get into it again because I got to eat dinner in a little while and I'm gonna, I don't want to <laughs> upset my stomach, you know, and have to take Alka-Seltzer and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to do that. Uh, we, we get them as a sponsor too, Alka Seltzer. Because believe me, doing a show with you, I need Alka Seltzer sometimes. <laughs> uh, okay, so I'm just saying, I love you, but I, I could use I could use some of that drop pop fizz fizz. <laughs> oh, whatever relief it is, you know. I, I'm just saying, I'm just just saying. So, right. but it's okay. And then, but then Lomachenko, he loses the fight with all that stuff in the air right we just talked about he loses the fight and the guy's got a torn labrum he's you know a torn labrum in his shoulder right shoulder i believe it's his right shoulder um he doesn't he knows something's wrong because he went into the fight with something wrong because he got a shot i'm gonna guess it was a cortisone shot but whatever it was he got a shot during camp and then another shot before the fight just so he could fight without too much pain. And so he goes and gets surgery after the fight, and he never said a word about it. He never said, well, you know, my shoulder was bad, and I couldn't do this. He didn't say a word, not a word. He behaved the way a champion should behave. A man should behave. You know, I know there's times you can say, I I understand all of it, but... Really? Didn't say a word like Shusura didn't say nothing. And I don't know. To me, that that if somebody really did something to you, that's one thing. But come on. At the end of the day, I'd rather see that behavior. The behavior of those two fighters we just pointed to. I'd rather I'm see that. You. I'd rather yep. see that. And I'll finish with this. We didn't come here to knock water. He did that with this stuff for us to talk about it. He did that. Uh, we didn't go and say, let's find a door to go in. No. He created that door. We're just dealing with it for everyone. But I would venture to say, off of their behaviors in the past, that's all you can go by, right, Ken? I would venture to say neither Shizora or Lomachenko would ever blame a loss since they didn't use anything here, you had a torn labrum. That's something legitimate. That's something real. I would say that they would never blame the weight of a costume. (laughs) Just the word costume is funny in itself. For for a loss. So I'll leave it at that. Uh, You guys figure it out, because that's where it starts. Because that's where it all started. It started with a costume. Yep. Started with a costume. What costume did you wear yesterday for Halloween, anyway? Uh, yesterday, I was uh, Joe Exotic from a little documentary called The Tiger King. You, 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 would, you were the Tiger King? I was the Tiger King, yep. Wow. My dog was the tiger, and my wife was Carol Baskin, Joe Exotic's uh, nemesis in Tiger King. Wow. <laughs> could we, could, uh, you know, Rob is the man. Can we get a picture of you, you, your beautiful family and you... Up yep. with the, I would love to see it. I really would. I see and I, Rob typing I, away vigorously I, right I, now. I, I, <laughs> thank you, Rob. You're the man. Because I know that our, our people out there would love to see this. Um, <laughs> we're over 20 million views, Ken. I feel good about yep. that. 
you know, over twenty and, and one hundred thirty-five thousand subscribers. I, I we just got the best fans. Wanna, I want to say thank you. There and, it um, is. Oh, there so it is. There, oh, there's, so there's oh. Joe Exotic, Carol Baskin with a year twenty twenty. My daughter oh, Tensei is a is a Zoom call. My what a uh, oldest son Jack is the coronavirus. The youngest son uh, Cameron is Doctor Fauci, and oh, the middle oh. son Luke is toilet paper. And and there's one toilet paper. Right, he, that's, good. that's a good 2020. Kid. That's a that's a good kid. That's a good kid. Allows himself to see that kid would never complain and make and start blaming somebody else. If he could allow himself to be a roll of toilet paper, that's just a good, good, good kid and a team player. And the only thing I would say, two things, two things, because again, X-ray, right? We got X-ray. Yeah. Um, yeah. Has Pedic. Has Peter called you about what you did to that dog? Have, 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 I want Peter to come and take the dog. If they call me, I'm going to say, you know what? You're right. I do not deserve a dog. If you guys want to come and get it, I'll have her at the front door with her cage and all her food. Ken, after we put this out there with our, the big base we have now, they're coming. <laughs> I got, I got, you better, your wife better hide the dog if she wants Please to Please come it. get her. Because they're coming. They're coming, all right? And the only yep. other thing I got to say Look, fairness, right? We we look at other people, we say things, we got to be able to take it and look at ourselves, right or wrong? Yeah, 100%. All right. All right. Uh, have you been tested for PEDs because you look pretty <laughs> you've looked pretty jacked. <laughs> Let pretty me tell good you. for 60, right? You look pretty damn good for 40, <laughs> for 30, for 25, for whatever you are. I you just, just uh, made my day. Uh, I love you more today yeah. than I did yesterday. <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, and and that's of course before a urine test. I'm just saying, uh, <laughs> you know. But but it, it, you you guys look beautiful, family. Beautiful. Family. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Once again, shout out to our sponsor, Power Dot. Uh, love this product. Uh, promote circulation to help muscles recover quickly between fights and workouts. Like I said, rehab from injury, relief from pain. It's really an incredible product. You've got to just go online, check them out at powerdot.com slash atlas to take advantage of the code. But when you look at the site, it will really walk you through a lot of the benefits of the product. Additionally, I have it on now. Rob's going to cut to my, uh, I use it on my calves after, after uh, long runs especially. But you can see it here, how it stimulates the muscle. So it's actually working the muscle without putting load on the joints. And um, I can't say enough good things about it. It's It comes with a convenient travel pack. I take it with me everywhere I go. Again, they're giving 20% off to all listeners with the code ATLAS. Do your body a favor and go to powerdot.com slash atlas and experience personalized muscle recovery because it integrates with Strava and Apple Health. So if you use these apps already, it's, it's a no-brainer in terms of your recovery. And as an additional bonus, we're going to give one in five, one in five customers that buy this product, we're going to refund your purchase price. So if you use the promo code atlas, buy the PowerDot unit, Send, email us a receipt of your purchase at the fight at hithardmedia.com. Again, email us a copy of your receipt, the fight at hithardmedia.com, and we're going to refund one in every five customers that purchase this. So you're not only going to get 20% off your purchase price, you're also going to get a 20% chance to get the product for free. Uh, again, go to, the, go to powerdot.com slash atlas, A-T-L-A-S, 
20% off and a 20% chance to get a free PowerDot unit. I think you'll like it. And if you don't, within 30 days, if you let us know, they'll refund your purchase price. No questions asked. Once again, PowerDot.com slash Atlas, A-T-L-A-S. Well, listen, let's get into we got a, We still got a lot to cover, so I hope the hardcore boxing fans appreciate this in-depth coverage because now we've got Javante Davis, Leo Santa Cruz, like the first fight, I love this one. All action affair, two completely different styles. You have the punching machine of Leo Santa Cruz who threw about 10,000 punches. Oh, sorry, he usually throws 10,000. Maybe this time he was throwing 5,000 because of that left hand of Davis was so dangerous and cocked and ready all night. And oh my God, when he landed it, I think it was in, was it in the fourth, sixth round when he stopped him. Oh, good Lord. That was one of the most vicious, dangerous looking knockouts I've seen in a long time. Knocked him out cold for a guy who's only been down once on a controversial knockdown. Leo Santa Cruz, zero losses. Like I said, one time touched the canvas and his legs got tangled up. I think the ref, they said during the broadcast, the ref actually apologized to him after the fact because it wasn't a true knockdown. And Gervonta Davis, good lord. I thought that Leo Santa Cruz might get it done, but man, Tank Davis at, at, at that weight with that punching power, he only needs one, the great eraser, and he erased that consciousness. Wow. Now, you know, you wouldn't know if you've listened to our show, the preview show before the fight, we get it wrong. I had Loma, I thought Loma was going to win, so again, I'm not hiding. I thought he was going to win that fight. I thought it was a draw. But, yeah. okay, I got you. Lopez won. I got you. But we predicted Usyk to win a unanimous decision. And on this show, I said Davis would not come out. He wouldn't have fight. But I believe I said he had, I think he'd stop him. He'd not come no, out. No, you're right. You, you said that. I'm, I apologize. I should have pointed that out because you did right. say that Davis was going to stop him. Yeah, and, and listen... <laughs> Too big, too young, you know. He was, he was, he was what uh, eleven years younger, twenty five versus what uh, thirty, thirty five, uh, thirty six. Um, yeah. So, either way, whatever it is, too big, too young, too strong. And I'm gonna add something to my man Mayweather, uh, the manager, and to Davis. I'm gonna add something. Also, too good. Let's not take the credit away. They were they were twenty five. Davis is twenty five. Uh, Santa Cruz is thirty two. Oh, thirty two. Um, but a lot of miles on his odometer. A lot of miles. He's been in a lot of tough fights, a lot of wars, a lot of punches thrown. As you said, he's a puncher machine. But the bottom line is, too good too. I think that's fair. It's it's not fair to just say too big. That's a big part of it. But he was too big. He was a lightweight with a real feather, with a true featherweight. But if he wasn't as good a fighter, it wouldn't have mattered. Because he wore, I took notice, nobody mentioned this, but I took notice of the costume he went in there with. It was the same Mexican costume with the colors of the Mexican flag that Mayweather wore when he fought De La Hoya. To get under in his mind, to get under his skin, yep. to be a promoter, to be an entertainer, to give himself an edge, all those things. But it was the same costume. No mistake about it. No, no accident. And here's the thing that was really a consistent with that. 
that I found very interesting. And again, if I was doing a commentator, I would have said this right away. Not only did Davis wear the same costume his manager wore years earlier in, against De La Hoya, but he was counterpunching the way his manager did against De La Hoya. A great job. We know he was bigger. We know he was younger. We know he was the better puncher. We know he was physically stronger. We know all that. But he was better. He was smarter. He was a counterpuncher. Timing punches. I mean, it was beautiful. He was doing that, too. So, keeping Santa Cruz from being aggressive. Now, Santa Cruz, in hindsight, I think as much hard as he showed, he didn't show good decision-making skills or judgment by fighting on the inside with a guy that dangerous. Sooner or later, it's going to get you. You know, you might be winning the battles, but you're going to lose the war. It was the wrong geography, right? Ken, how often do you hear me talk about boxing's all about geography? Who's in the yep. right geography for their skill sets, for what they should be? He was in the wrong geography inside with Davis, even when he was winning in spots inside. I don't care. But what he should have been is he on the outside with, with his jab, his long jab, and being able to use that jab to keep separation and look to counter the counter puncher coming in, you know, not cooperate with him by laying on in his wheelhouse. Uh, that's what he should have done. Now I'll say this. Even if he had done that, it probably wouldn't have mattered because he didn't have enough pop, I don't think, to keep Davis from getting to where he wanted to get to anyway, eventually. Yeah. He was, he was going to get there. And again... I was impressed with the skill sets, the technical skill sets of Davis. I could see what rubbed off on him being in camp with Mayweather. Great counterpuncher, great defensive fighter, obviously a great fighter. Uh, that time was well spent being in camp with Mayweather. Mayweather yep. might be a really good trainer too. But um, so I, that's where it starts for me is to point all those things out. And it was a terrific fight while it lasted. But you got the funny, you got the feeling, there was nothing funny about it, you got the feeling that uh, the party was going to be over soon, you know, because you can see the strength difference. And the speed. He's got good, he's got good skill sets, Davis. You know, the quickness, the speed of those counter punches. Um, and he took a lot of shots, like Leo Santa Cruz, not known as a killer with the hand, with, with the punching power, but he he lumped him up pretty good. He he landed some decent shots, and Tank absorbed him and kept moving forward. And like I always say, you know, Davis Cruz is tough. Oh, but in 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 this business, the sweet science, it's about being smart. You got to be tough. That's a prerequisite. You shouldn't be in the business if you're not tough. But and you, you won't be in the business long if you're not. You'll be on the unemployment line looking for some other work somewhere um, in a different vocation. But the, the being smart separates you. And you could see that element, that trait, that quality with Davis. So I want to... I don't think there's much more for me to cover. You know, we'll make up some of the time by going shorter on this one since we went so long on the Usyk and then, of course, mixing in what we had to mix in with the 
wilder accusations. Um, but I think that that covers it pretty well. I'm looking at my notes. Before you, before you move on, I just wanted to ask you one question. Oh, the one thing I want to add with that. Let me add and then ask you a question. That proof, Exhibit A in court, proof of him being smart was how he ended it. He didn't end it by breaking the door down and just mugging a guy. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't do that. He slipped a punch, made a miss, and created an opening by being smart for the left uppercut. Identical, and if Rob has this, he'll put it up. Identical to what my former fighter, Povetkin, did a month and a half, month ago, whatever it was, against Dillian White. Identical. It was the technique that won the fight. I know it was the power that ended the fight, but what won the fight, that what made it possible for the power to end the fight, was the technique this. Smart boxing. What did Povetkin do? He slipped the right hand coming at him, right? Here From digging right here it comes. There it is. I, oh! It's still... Watch. Watch this. Watch this. Boom. Same thing. Watch again. Watch again. Here it is. Here's Povetkin a month ago. Bang! Makes it miss. And here's Davis. The only difference, Davis got hit a couple jabs. But he slips the... Bang. Same thing. Same thing. That that is still when you get to the when you get to the nitty gritty, Ken, it's still the sweet science. It's still the sweet science. That was good sweet. for Santa Cruz that he was in the corner there because when he went out, that that corner um, padding broke his fall a little. Because the worst thing that can happen when you get turned when the lights get turned out like that is that the head bounces off the canvas is incredibly dangerous from a concussion standpoint so thank god he was in the corner where he was and, thank he, god. and it broke his fall so he didn't go straight down because he was un completely unconscious and the one thing i noticed about santa cruz he smiles constantly when he woke up he was smiling when he was throwing punches he was smiling he looks like he genuinely having fun in there he's a good kid you know he's an easy guy to root for really really no he is He's just a good family guy. You could see it. Good human being. His whole family's there with him. It was sad. That's one of the sad parts about the sport is when a guy, there's always the risk you're going to, your night's going to end that way, you know, Ken? Yeah. And you got your family there and they got to see and that. The, That's and the it was tough. horrible because his dad was right in the corner and his dad literally like grabbed his arm as he went down oh, as soon as tough. it happened. Almost like, get up, get up, Leo, get up. It's, and, and, it's and sad. Almost like That's subconscious. No, you're 100%. You're I mean, that's your kid. That's the kid that you changed his diapers. That's yep. the kid that you taught how to ride the bike. You know, yep. I mean, that's the kid who you had out there, you know, in Little League. Uh, so uh, the only other thing I add, and then you asked a question. You were going to ask a question. But the only yep. thing I want to, if you watch the fight again, nobody pointed this out, but it's, it's something that I think is worth pointing out. Because when you have habits that don't help you, but their habits, they can hinder you. You can. T I always look when I'm watching a, getting ready to for my fighter fight a fight. I, I, I got to scout. I got to look at the film of the guy. Is there anything I can use against him? Is there anything I could be sure he's going to do all the time that I can find the counter for? Can I find something in this film that you can count on him doing, and then take advantage? Being that you know he's going to do that. Being predictable, in other words. And there's one thing, and nobody talked about this, um, and I don't know if Rob can find the film and put it up, but the, the good people out there, you look at the fight, watch. 
Santa Cruz has a habit, and he's always had this habit. Nobody really talks about it. I talked about it when I caught his fights on ESPN, where he'll do this with his right hand. All yeah. the time, it's like a nervous twitch. Like, like, and that one commentator mentioned it. I mean, I, I, I mean, he's doing it all night like this. Almost looks like something's wrong with his hands. Yeah, to move it yeah, like, like, and when he's doing that, there's always a you're busy doing this. That hand can't be thrown until it's settled. Boom, then you can throw. But while it's doing this, it can't be thrown. And I always said, take advantage of that. You could take it, and it didn't matter because. Obviously, Davis had a great fight plan. He did what he had to do. But I'm just saying, if you know a guy's going to do this, just because it's a nervous habit, then when it's going like this, move to that side because you know that this is out of play for those two seconds. It's out of play. So move towards that hand and attack from there because because he's giving you an opportunity to attack when it's usually dangerous and it's not. That's all. Yeah. Question for you. One thing that I noticed after the fight, I was looking at where where the rankings were, and I always go to Ring Magazine because I think of them as the like neutral arbiter of the sport. I really do. And I was looking for Tank Davis. Where is he ranked in the um, lightweight and junior lightweight rankings? He's the champ at one thirty and one thirty five, and I he's not ranked. He's he doesn't he's not recognized as a champion, and he's not in the rankings in the top ten either way. I'm. This is a legitimate question. I don't know if I'm missing something or if he's being excluded for a reason. Do you have any insight? Well, when I saw that, I I flipped out because I said this is why the sport is losing credibility by the second. This is why it's becoming a mockery sometimes. The fighters are great. They're noble warriors. When it's a good fight, it's still great. But then when you see all the shenanigans, all the crap, all the politics, all the other SH something T um, that goes on in this sport, it, it it just sickens me. It sickens me. And nobody talks about it. Why? Because, again, they want to be friends. They want to be, They don't want to get fired from their job as a commentator. They don't want to insult nobody. Uh, so they, they, they keep their m- mouth shut. And... How would they feel, though, if they were on the other side of it? They wouldn't feel so good if their fighter or their son or whatever was being robbed when he, when he worked so hard to get to that place. And now he's being robbed in a fight by corrupt judges or incompetent in judges, and now he's got to go back to the, to the back of the line and face thousands of punches again to get back there and then hope that it comes together for him the way it did that night to win the title again or whatever. I mean, that's why I get so incensed and so crazy. And I'm looking at this, what you're talking about, and here it is. And look, guys, look, you don't have bad eyes, by the way, guys. I know, I wish it was that simple. I really do. But look, this is recent, um, (laughs) I can't even say it, but this is recent ratings. Look at the junior lightweights, the lightweights, the featherweights. Do you see Cruz? Do you see Davis? No. Look again, because it's got to be a mistake, right? It's impossible. This is the Ring Magazine. Years ago, it was called the Bible of Boxing. It's owned by De La Hoya, by Golden Boy. This is, I mean, look at it again. Please give me an explanation. Really. And, and please understand why Teddy Atlas goes gets so upset about such things that I do. And sometimes, oh, why is Teddy screaming? That's why I'm screaming. 
Show me their names. Show me them. Because if you're a legitimate ring magazine, if you're a legitimate tabloid, a legitimate media outlet, right, of news in this sport, and you're one of the top names, how do you not have two guys that are champions? How do you not have them in there? A guy like Cruz who's been champion for years. A guy, a guy like Davis who's champion who fought on pay-per-view last night. By the way, I don't think the numbers did too well. I think they made a mistake making that pay-per-view. But I think that the performance will help him to be better in the, as a pay-per-view fighter. I think that, yes. But forget that for a minute. Look, getting back to this. How do you call yourself a legitimate media outlet when you don't have a guy who's fought for two titles last night, a world champion, and another guy who's been a world champion, Cruz? You don't have their names anywhere. How? how, I mean, I want to put context to this, Ken. That, That would be like one of the NBA or the NFL outlets or the MLB outlets Let's, let's take the NBA. The NBA media outlets not having the Lakers listed as champions. Why? Because ah, they don't like the owner of the Lakers. Because it's obvious there's got to be a reason somewhere that, that Golden Boy, we know he doesn't, or at least if you're in the business, you know he doesn't like Al Heyman. <laughs> he, they're mortal enemies. He, he hates Al Heyman. So these, obviously, they were Al Heyman fighters. David's Al Heyman fighter. So, uh, is that the reason? Uh, so you don't like them. So you don't you don't take a legitimate champion who belongs to be rated in there, and you don't rate them. How do you call yourself a legitimate news outlet and magazine? How you can't? You can't. You can't. You're 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 the old days of the Enquirer, uh, the Enquirer. You're a joke. Yeah, I said it. Yeah, I don't care about who don't like me. Who li- I don't care. Yeah, I said it. Yeah, you're a joke. You made yourself a joke. Teddy Atlas and Ken Rideout didn't make your joke. You made yourself a joke. Really, explain to me how those names are not there. Explain that to me. How are they not there? And again, that would be like if the NBA example's not good enough, I'll go to the NFL. Ken, you know... Because of Ken and his, his favorite team, the New England Patriots, uh, when they won the Super Bowl, and they're not listed in the NFL media outlets. They're not mentioned. Why? Because somebody doesn't like Kraft, the owner, or they don't like Bill Belichick, who, whoever's the editor at, at the outlets, at the magazine. So they don't put them in there. That couldn't happen, right? Because you would take away the credibility of the sport. You would make it a laughing stock. You make a mockery out of it. They're making a mockery out of this sport. They they really are. Between all the things that happened, and now this, you make a mockery out of the sport. And and the fighters deserve better. They earned the right to be in there. They they bled to be in there. They they sweated to get in there. They took risk to get in there. What was that these? These, these writers or whoever makes up this cockamamie stuff. What, what, what risk did they take? 
The only ratings I believe is the transcontinental. I think I'm saying it right. Uh, Rob, check that for me. Please check that for me. It's the transcontinental ratings. I believe it is. They're the only ones I really take any merit with. Anyway, but this is Rig Magazine. Again, this used to be called the Bible of Boxing. I think what? of the Ring Magazine belt as the true champion of the division. And now Love look it. at it. Yeah, this magazine was the Bible of boxing. You know what it looks like now? Mad Magazine. Looks like Mad Magazine. Remember Mad? Yeah. Mad Magazine? Put, a, put that up there, Rob, if you can. Mad Magazine with that silly kid with the freckles. <laughs> you remember that kid? <laughs> Alfred E. Newman? <laughs> yeah, well, whoever that was. Remember Mad Magazine? You know, <laughs> yeah, funny yeah, magazine. Funny magazine. This ain't supposed to be a funny magazine. This ain't supposed to be a spoof. This ain't supposed to be a joke. This ain't supposed to be a living color. I love living color and living color. This ain't, this ain't supposed to be a living color skit. It's a, uh, am, am, I, am I wrong, Ken, to, to feel this no. strong? No, I wonder what would happen if Davis was in a line to challenge um, a, a, a title holder who happened to have the Ring Magazine belt. Would they recognize him? Would they give him one? No. I mean, maybe they will after we just torched them and put them on fire and tar and feathered them and dumped them in the Atlantic Ocean. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there it is. There it is. My man. Oh, look at that gap tooth son of a gun with the big ears. My ears aren't that small either. No, but my <laughs> head is big enough to cover it. Look at, there it is. Mad Magazine. There he is. Okay. Can we replace that? Can we do a little artwork here? I have so much confidence in Rob. Maybe it goes too far sometimes. But can <laughs> can we erase Mad and put Ring? <laughs> can, can really? Can we do that? You know, uh, with with the picture of the guy picking his nose, and instead of Mad, put Ring. Is that possible? Can, oh, that's oh my goodness! And because that's what he's saying to the fans. That's what he's saying to the fans right there with his middle finger up his nose. The fans that know the Cruz, they're fans of Cruz, they're fans of Davis, they know they're world champions. Well, this is what they're saying about what you know and what you care to know. Um, I'd love to see that and erase Mag, Mad, and put Ring, if we could do that. I wish we could do that. I don't know if we could do that with the computerized technology that we have and put ring up there instead of mad. That's uh, we'll, we'll figure it out. But uh, I um, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done with that. <laughs> I'm, you remember that movie? Robert, get this up for me. Remember that movie? Um, my cousin Vinny. Oh my! Uh, Rob, Rob's a you. genius. He reads. He reads minds because I heard him whisper. <laughs> He's a genius. <laughs> he is a genius. No, really. <laughs> My cousin Vinny, when when in the <laughs> I laugh thinking about it, when in the courtroom, uh, Joe Pesci being a lawyer for you know his nephew and the other guy that were accused of murder in some southern town, and he he he's starting to get a little hot. You know, at first he was a mess. He was a mess. The judge was putting <laughs> him in jail, throwing him out of the courtroom, everything. For contempt. But, uh, yeah, for contempt. But all of a sudden he started getting good and he got on a little run, some momentum going, and he questioned the witness and he goes, I'm, I'm through with this one. <laughs> I'm, tr I'm through. Instead of saying, I'm done with this witness, of course he didn't do anything conventional. He said, I'm done with this one. 
I'm, 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 get this one out of here. Well, I'm done with, I'm done with Ring Magazine, and um, <laughs> and we can move on now. I'm done with that one. Well, let's move on to a fighter that I know they like because they featured him in, uh, in an animated monster cover that was actually pretty entertaining and an awesome cover. Noya Inouye and Jason Maloney. Uh, another good fight, man. Credit to Maloney. He took some bombs from Inouye, but Inouye was like levels better. Maloney hit him with some solid punches, but it just looked like a guy two weight classes lower hitting a big, much bigger, stronger guy. Inouye walked right through everything Maloney had to offer, and eventually he threw a perfect right hand right as Maloney moved in to do something. He's coming forward, and Inouye stepped into and hit him with a bomb right down the middle, ended the night. Uh, Maloney was game all night, tried to get up, stumbled back down, the ref waved it off. Inouye successfully defends his IBF and WBA Bantamweight titles. I really like Inouye, obviously a lot of people do. A lot of people probably now have him 1-2 in um, pound for pound, but what'd you think? The monster one on Halloween. How's that? (laughs) How's that? Yeah, Right? For karma. Perfect. The monster. Yeah. I'll add one thing in there before somebody else grabs it from me. That I don't know, I'm not, I'll add one thing in there. I always say in the gym with my fighters, smart monster. That's what I always try. That's my, that's my ambition, my goal when I train a fighter. Make him a smart monster. A smart yeah. monster. They're the best monster. He was a smart monster that night. And the only thing I differ with you but I'm not different with you, to be honest. I'll just put it a different way from a trainer's perspective where you said he, you know, whatever words you use, he smashed him with the right hand. He timed him with the right hand. That was part of the majesty of it, part of the artistry of it, part of the greatness of it that makes the monster so good. He timed the right hand perfect. Yeah, it was a power, but it was timed. He threw it at the exact right time when the other guy made himself susceptible, when Maloney start, threw the jab and he was too close when he threw it and his head was too stationary and the jab was coming back too slow. Boom, he saw an opening to time him. That That's where I start. I'll start with that because a lot of people have power. Ernie Shavers had power and he never he never won a heavyweight title. You need the other stuff. And and he and listen, Ernie Chavis was around during a tough time with some great heavyweights. But still, I'm just saying, in a way, has more than just power. Um, he's got good instincts. He's very calm. He's got good eyes. Another guy trained by his dad too. Yeah, good job. Some of them are great. History shows it. Some of them, uh, they're great, but they destroy their relationships, which is not great. At at what price do you want success? But some of them have both. They have their cake and eat it too. It's not easy to train your own kid. Think about it. I'm glad you brought that up. Ken, think about it. The kid that, the the human nature of a father is to do what? Protect. 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 Protect Protect his offspring. In this case, protect his son. And in this case, you're putting him in, keep him away from danger. As a father that's a trainer, you're putting him into danger. Yeah, you're doing it in a way where if you're in control, you're giving him the best chance. No doubt about it. And that's how a father thinks. He's protecting him better than someone else. But you're still putting him into into a position where there's danger. That's what makes it so amazingly conflictive. And this could be its own piece. We could do a show on this. That's what makes it so conflictive and goes against all the laws of human nature. That... 
Instead of protecting them, you're putting them in a position where there could be danger. But having said that, it's amazing the success some of these fathers have. And for me, great eyes, great sense of anticipation. You know, Wayne Gretzky was one of the greatest, if not the greatest, hockey player. I think Gordie Howe might have been the great. But uh, Wayne Gretzky may be the greatest hockey player of all time. He wasn't the fastest, you know. He wasn't the hardest shooter. You know, Bobby Hall might have been the hardest shooter. I'm surprising you guys out there with my knowledge of other sports a little bit. Huh? I'm impressed. <laughs> I'm impressed, Ken. He wants me to talk about the Boston Bruins, about Phil Esposito in front of the net, how he dominated <laughs> in front of the net. He wants me to talk about Stan that. Stan Jonathan. Yeah. Terry so, O'Reilly, Mike Milbury. Uh, there, there it is. Bob <laughs> or oh, Bobby Orr. Bobby Orr. So, but... He, Wayne Gretzky's, probably his greatest trait was his sense of anticipation. He was always at the right place at the right time. And that's one of the traits that Inouye has. Great sense of anticipation, great reflexes, great eyes, great timing. He's got great power, but the great ability to deliver the power, like I said, when he timed the right hand over the jab, he delivered it clean. You know, it's one thing to have power. It's another to have that ability to deliver it at the right time on the button. And he did that. And that's why it was so effective, that punch. And to see the opportunity, to see the opening for that, he saw it all, all night. And he finally closed the show with it. He capitalized early. But the other attributes of, in a way, that I saw, the quick closing step. Uh, where so quick he closed that last two feet can and be on you just real explosive with his hands very quick with his hands but quick with his step to to close that gap bomb really 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 special and put together combinations that are intelligent well-placed combinations to open something up and to use a jab well you know, to stabilize the guy, to keep the guy where he wants, to keep the guy from dominating him with his jab. And Maloney needed to dominate him with his jab. So what did way if he's going to win, right? Because he's not as strong as way. He's got a box, use his jab. So what did way do? He took his jab away with his jab and with the right-hand counter over the jab of Maloney where it made him, it made him, hesitant about using the jab because he might get hit with the right hand. So he took it away that way. It's unbelievable. And the only thing I would improve on in a way, maybe, maybe, is sometimes he gets hit with the jab where he could learn to throw the jab sometimes from an angle, like boom, instead of from the middle. Uh, and another thing, and listen, this is almost, ugh, it's almost, um, it's almost, ridiculous that I'm saying anything about such a great fighter and I'm not taking on I'm just pointing out from my eyes as a trainer the only other thing I might add is to use a feint once in a while a little more because he's always pressing the action people are going to react to his feint they're going to believe that he's throwing something to use a feint maybe before you throw the jab so the other guy throws the jab too soon then you won't get hit with the jab then you can come in clean you know stuff like that but I love the way I've said it before on this show. 
He's got the same thing that the great Joe Lewis had. He's always balanced, always in position, never out of balance, never out of position. His legs are always where they need to be, under him. His upper body's never ahead of him. You know, the, no matter how good you are with punching and putting punches together upstairs, it couldn't be possible if downstairs wasn't good. His downstairs is very good. His basement, his foundation, the, it's very good. And... um. As far as Maloney, listen, he's a pretty good boxer. You did a good job, Ken, with the opening. He's a pretty good boxer. But you had to be more than that with this guy because he knows how to cut the ring down. He knows how to get in. He knows how to track you down. And you can't just be a good boxer. You have to have a little pep in your step. You know, you have to have a little power to slow the guy down because otherwise he's going to walk through you. And that's what he eventually did. You, you know, he wasn't physically strong enough, Maloney, at the end of the day. He had the right idea to box. I mean, that's Stoney. I was a little confused when the commentator said he should be on the inside. Well, I was like, I was confused because the inside was one place he had no shot. Now, I know he was getting beat on the outside because of the reasons I just think I pointed out, but the inside would have been just, it would have been kind of like instead of dying by a thousand cuts, you die right away. Maybe that's <laughs> maybe that's a reason to be inside. So you die right away instead of by a thousand cuts. Maybe, but to me, his only chance was on the outside. But even there, he didn't have a chance because he didn't have enough power to slow the guy. I know what they were saying. You had to hurt him. You had to get his respect. You had to slow him down. Well, going inside would have been kamikaze. Uh, I mean, it would have been suicide. So anyway, um. But he had the right idea. He just didn't have the equipment, Maloney, to pull it off, you know, to, to be able to do it. Uh, in a way, showed why I have, I've had him for a while, my top, you know, pound for pound. I think I got him number three. But he, he showed, obviously, he showed why uh, he's there. Maybe the only other thing he could have done a little bit more was go to the body a little more. He, he did it. But you want to take air out of the tires, you know, obviously, of, uh, of a guy that's got to use his wheels if he's going to, you know, if he's going to have any chance at all. And um, I just want to look at my... I mean, he def definitely obviously lives up to Monster. And at the end of the day... If I'm calling the fights, you know what analogy I use? And I sent the tweet out. Rob put it up for me after the fight, Ken. Watching the fight from the beginning, I had the image of a kid. You got kids. You go to the, to the shore, right, during the summer? Yep, yep. I had the image of a, a kid at the beach, Ken, where he's trying to make a sandcastle. And every time he gets it up, you know, he's putting the walls up. Looks nice. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? And you come yeah. over as the father and you, you put a little water on it. You tighten it up a little bit. You polish <laughs> it up a little bit. And every time it's starting to get put together, the water gets higher and you got to move it back. <laughs> yeah, you got to, because the ocean comes up and you got to move it back. So you move it back and then you get it set up again and you get the, you get the mort and you get the, the walls and everything, and then the water's there again. It came up high again. Yeah, and 
that's what it felt like watching this fight. That no matter what Maloney did, the tide kept coming in. And there was nothing to stop the tide. And eventually, it was going to do what happens to the kid's castle. It was going to wipe it out. Yep. <laughs> the, the, high, the tide was eventually going to come in and wash it away. And sure enough, the high tide, quote, in a way, finally came in and it just knocked the castle down. And, and that's all I, that, that's, you know, that old say, enough said. Yep. That, that's it. That's what that <laughs> fight was. Yep. The only thing I'll add, though, there was you were talking about some of the old time hockey players. And one of the only times I ever remember rooting for someone against the Bruins was in the early 80s. My friend Jack O'Callaghan, who won a gold medal, he was the captain of the USA uh, Olympic hockey team that beat the Russians in Lake Placid. He came to the Garden in his first game ever as a pro. I forget if it was with the Devils. He played for the Blackhawks for years, but I think he might have played the Devils first. Either way, he got in a fight with Terry O'Reilly, and it was the only time I ever remember hoping that someone beat the crap out of someone from Boston because he was literally like a neighborhood guy. Jack O'Callaghan was like a local legend, hero. He was a little older than me, but we became really good friends as as I got older. But, man, watching him fight with some of the old Bruins, Terry O'Reilly, Mike Milbury, he fought everyone. And he was like same size as me, maybe like 5'10", 170 when he was playing. He was just willing to get in there and fight with anyone. And it was just, oh, man, I, he was like my first sports hero as a kid. You know, the greatest, anyway. I'm going to ask you a question. We'll finish on this. Maybe we'll put a contest out there, um, Rob, to the fans. Name the greatest fighter in the history of the NHL. I'm going to name mine. Bob Probert. All right. There you go. I'm going to name one that's going to throw you off a little bit but because nobody would fight him. But I'm going to name one. And then let's put a thing out there. Let the fans name their greatest. Yeah. Let them name their greatest National Hockey League fighter. And and the winner, the winner will get uh, a chance sign to... Sign glove. Yeah, sign glove. Sign glove. I was going to say a chance to spar with Ken. All right, now, <laughs> here we go. You ready for mine? Yeah. Mine, Gordie Howe. Yeah, that's a good one. Because, Ken, nobody wanted to fight this guy. No. This guy was a savage. That was, this guy was a man. <laughs> he was a man. He was yeah. a man. That's that's yep. beautifully said. Four, what did he play? Five decades? With, with, yeah, something like that. Maybe, maybe six. But five or six decades he played, and he played with his sons. Yep. He actually wound up playing with his sons. I mean, this is a guy. I did a fight plan in Texas. I think it was somewhere in Texas. And believe it or not, in Texas, they had a, they had a hockey team, like a minor league hockey team, something. And, and the guy that was... I don't know if he was the coach or he just lived there. He he had the most penalty minutes in the history of the National Hockey League. So we we had him do the fight plan with me. We had him, yeah. you know, we right away we said we got to get this guy, and yeah. he was glad to come over and do the fight plan with me. And great guy, great guy. Can't remember his name. And so we started talking about who the toughest guys were, you know, because this guy who had the record for most penalty minutes, he yeah. should be an expert on right? <laughs> so. We start talking, and he looks at me, he says, oh, there's only one guy. He said, I've been in with all of them, all of them. But there's only, and there's a lot of great ones. You remember the guy from Philly was the big bully Schultz? Remember him? Oh, of course, the, Dave, remember? Dave, killer Schultz. Yeah, I mean, he would, and, and he would, you know, he was there, and you had these different guys. 
But, Big mustache and afro. Yeah. But he said, oh, there's only one guy. Gordy Howe. Mm-hmm. He said, he said, matter of fact, he said, I towards the end of his career, I got to play with him. And I made a mistake. Forget about what he does with his fist. He said, I made a mistake. What a savage guy. No playing around with this guy. I made a mistake and we were in practice. And I thought, okay, in practice, you know, you got to show who you are and you got to go 100%, right? All that stuff. So here's the great Gordie Howe going up up the ice and it's practice. Practice? You talking about practice? All right, I just had to throw that in there with the great Allen Iverson. Practice? Are we talking about practice? So they're going up ice and there's the great Gordie Howe. And this guy, you know, that I can't remember his name, good guy. He says, I'm going to check him. <laughs> what a mistake. <laughs> what a mistake. So he goes, bang. He goes and, you know, puts his stick up, checks him. He said, from somehow, within the milliseconds, the milliseconds of checking him with a high stick and then recoiling back to my skating position, Gordy Howe went, up with a stick like, like a surgeon and, and cut, his, cut his eyebrow wide open. Gave him about <laughs> <laughs> gave him about thirty five stitches, like he like but up, like Zorro, but up. Well, you know what they call a Gordy Howe hat trick? If you score a goal, get an assist, and get in a fight in the same game, you get a Gordy Howe Gordy Howe, Gordy Howe hat trick. Hey, one quick thing before we go, I'll tell you a funny story. When I was playing college hockey, because I played football and hockey in college, um, one of the really skilled player that I played with at Framingham State, he went down and tried out for the East Coast League. So in the summer, he came back and he was skating with us, and I said, hey, how, how was the camp and stuff? And he's like, yeah, it wasn't for me. And this kid was really good. I, he goes, I said, what happened? But he wasn't a tough guy, he wasn't a fighter. He said, yeah, get out there. I, you know, I have a, was, had a half of a shield on his helmet, which usually indicates you're not going to, you're not a fighter. You wouldn't fight someone who has a half a shield on, they're like covering the eyes. <clears throat> it's just what a, a fighter wouldn't wear that. It's bad sportsmanship. It's so, like, it's like fighting a guy with eyeglasses, right? It, 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 no, it's like, if you have the shield on, it's basically saying like, don't fight me. But if you're a fighter, you're not going to wear the shield because you're not going to say that's what I like mean. fighting it's kinda, a guy with a headgear. You'd be like, it, well, on, it's kind of like. But it would be like hitting a guy wearing eyeglasses. Yes, yeah. It's basically he's advertising like, I don't really want to fight, but I will. Um, so the kid goes, yeah, I get out there. The first shift, he goes, you know, they line, he lines up and there's a guy like one of the, a, a guy who looks like a character from Slapshot. And he says, uh, the guy says, it's everything in hockey. It's not like this full of rage. The guy says to him, hey, we're going. It's camp. We got to like, we're trying to make the team. He said, hey, we're going. And the guy's like, no, 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 no. I'm not, no interest. And the guy, they drop the puck, the, the goon takes my buddy's stick, throws it out of the rink, and drops his gloves and said, drop your gloves. <laughs> so you're fighting whether you like it or not. He threw his stick out of the rink, so he had no glove, no gl- stick to drop and just attacked him. <laughs> he was, and that's when he decided, like, I don't think I want to play in this league. Yeah, at, at that point, like Customato said, during a tough fight, um, the guy Cus, would watch him fight with me and see stuff like that going on, you know, in the midst of a very tough fight. And he turned to me and said, Teddy Atlas, right about now, he's thinking about another line of work. <laughs> yep. That's <laughs> you know? it. That's it. That's he, it. He, he, you know, so um, what's next, partner? All right. 
Last one from the weekend. This one was Friday, but should have probably been on Halloween given the result. Jaime Munguia, who I love watching. He's, I, I love this guy. I love watching his fights. He's in there with um, Toriano Johnson, steady veteran. And uh, at some point in the fight, I forget the round. I apologize. Jaime Munguia hits him with an uppercut. And when they showed the slow-mo, it split Johnson's lip halfway up to his nose. And you could just see pieces of flesh flying through the air in the super slow-mo. The crazy thing is, it, I mean, it's, it, it, is, it was horrible. Not as bad as Alistair Overeem uh, in the UFC recently, but it was horrible. And the, the ref came over and took a look at it. There was 20 seconds left in the round. And the ref was like, nah, you're good. Let's keep going. Finish the round. I mean, his, it looked like, you know, it was... A perfect uh, image of a Halloween horror mask. And then once he got back to the corner, the, the doctor came in and was like, no, this fight's over. I mean, it's lit. Oh, it was horrible. I know you had a chance to see it. What do you think? Well, and no, Rob I get agree a picture with of it, I'm sure. No, that's a good, yeah, he will. It's pretty graphic. Uh, if you Very graphic. If you haven't eaten yet, maybe you might want to eat first. Or wait. Just wait a little while because it could be <laughs> one of those Alka-Seltzer moments that we talked about earlier. But... I think you you jumped into it the perfect way, Ken. Why you got a cut like that? It's already been decided that it came from a punch, so it's not like it's going to go to the scorecard. See, I'm being fair again. I want to point everything out. If it was still a chance to go to the scorecards, let them finish the round because that last 20 seconds might win the round uh, where he need that. To, to finish the scorecards to see who won. But it wasn't going to the scorecards because it wasn't from a headbutt or an accidental you know, headbutt or whatever, or an elbow, whatever. It, it was already decided by the ref that it was from a punch. So the only conclusion would be that Munguia was going to win, you know, was going to win a fight by knockout. Yeah. Uh, if, if, so... When you see that, you know, now I know some people say, well, you had 20 seconds left to knock out, uh, for Johnson to knock him out. All right, I, I'm with you. But when you see the severity of this cut, I think that it's your responsibility at that point with 20 seconds left. And this guy, it could get worse because he's getting hit with uppercuts, which is what caused the cut to begin with, and he's walking straight into uppercuts all night, and he hasn't changed. With 20 seconds left, you know, I don't know. I, I, I scratched my head a little bit, just a little bit. It's not one of the big head scratches over here, but we have some big ones. But with all this stuff about looking out for the safety of the fight and fights that are stopped too soon sometimes and we're looking out for the, and, and for all, you know, all that stuff. This is a time where it's right there for you to look out for the fighter with that kind of cut. 20 seconds left. I mean, you're going to see it now what I'm talking about, guys. There it is. There it is. On the right-hand side. My right-hand side, anyway. And yep. it's, it's, it's pretty damn bad. And it could get worse. With with another uppercut, I don't I don't know I I don't know about letting it go those last twenty seconds. But here's what I saw in a fight. I saw a twenty five year old Magia, who's a bigger guy, naturally bigger guy, against a thirty six year old Johnson, 
who had two losses, both by knockout. He was winning the fights in both fights, but he got knocked out late by good punches. And Johnson's in southpaw. Well, actually, he switches. And this is the last hurrah for Johnson. Probably, maybe. Uh, definitely a crossroads, uh, at the least, where he's got a chance now to, to win a title. And he does what he does. He's 11 years older, but he does what he does. He's aggressive. He's a gutsy game son of a gun, Johnson. He really is. And he made no complaints afterwards either. Behaved like a real fighter. Man. And he just, he comes at you. He comes at you. And McGee doesn't get a lot of credit. People just say he's a big guy. You know, he's still not developed. He needs to develop more. You know, he won the title against the smaller Saddam Ali, who probably the father and the brain trust with him probably made a big mistake putting him in that fight at that kind of weight because Saddam was really a welterweight. And he, he won a junior middleweight from a shot Cotto. But, you know, he won it. I mean, the kid was an Olympian. He's a good kid. He got his moment to win a title. He's always wanted to be a champion, him and the father, since they were kids. They won the title against Saddam. But I, I thought it was bad judgment to put him in this that fight, that fight. But anyway, McGee, his only credit he gets is he's big and he's strong. But he's raw and he needs to develop... I saw a development in that fight that I don't think that the commentators gave him enough credit. Where I saw in that fight where he showed a dimension he never showed. He's supposed to be a one-dimensional guy. Well, Johnson was one-dimensional all night. But McGee was supposed to be one-dimensional. Just a big, strong guy, Ken. But he showed a, a... Ability to adapt and adjust and show another dimension. Suddenly, because the other guy was coming at him, he started to box. He started to step back. He started to create room, something he never showed a propensity to do before. He started to step back, create room, and he had enough intelligence and instinctual intelligence, innate intelligence, whatever, to say, let me take advantage of this guy being predictable. And catch him coming in. And he stepped back. And sure enough, he says, the guy's shorter than me. He's coming in, leaning a little. Let me start using an uppercut. Bang! Bang! And he's catching him. He showed an ability to adapt, to show another dimension. I liked it. I like He's not perfect. He's got a long way to go. Early on, he lost some rounds because Johnson pressed him, got inside, hit him. He really blitzed him early on. He better pick up his defense and ability. Oh, he better. And an ability to pick it up early because he'll get blitzed by someone the way he blitzed Saddam Ali in his fight to win the title. But I'm just saying. But early on, when he was on the inside, Johnson was hitting him a lot of right hands because, and, and if, I'll just throw out this little, I'm looking to help somebody if I can. If it don't, it don't. But, uh, the, they they're doing a job. They got him to world title. I'm not I'm not in any way challenging that. I'm just saying one thing that he's got to correct is he was getting hit with right hands. Why? Because he was laying his head on the right side, where you're in the alleyway of the right hand. If you lay your head over here, right hand could come. But if you lay your head on the left, you're outside the right hand. Here you're in position to get hit with the right hand. So he should finish his head on the left, not on the right side. That would be one thing 
that would have helped him avoid some of those right hands. But having said that, he made the adjustments. He started backing up, giving himself room. You know that old saying, give the guy enough rope to hang himself. That's what he did. That's what he did. He gave, he gave, he gave Johnson enough rope to hang himself, and he started timing. The thing that confused me a little bit was the commentators were giving Johnson, his trainer, a lot of credit. They were saying, oh, that's fine. Good. You know, they were saying, oh, what a game plan. It looked, it was okay. It was good. But to me, it wasn't a game plan to be aggressive. It was just what Johnson does. Yeah. That's what Johnson does. That yep. would be like saying, give, give that um, snake over there credit for crawling. Uh, yeah. Last I checked, snakes crawl. <laughs> you know, Ken? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Snakes crawl. So to say I'm going to give credit to Johnson for being aggressive, that's what he does. But. The one thing they didn't point out was give credit to McGee that he was predictable being aggressive. Give him credit for realizing he could catch him with uppercuts and he needed room. You know, and one other thing, if you're giving him credit for such a good game plan, right? Well, the game plan had a little floor in it because it's part of the game plan should have been not to get hit with the uppercut. <laughs> that should have that's, been part of a good game plan. That's fair. But that's how I call fights. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm too critical. Maybe, maybe I'm looking at it too fine. But to me, that's, that's, that's how I look at it. That if you're going to give him credit, then give him credit because he, he taught him how to avoid the uppercut then. Because if he's going to be aggressive, uppercuts are going to have to be dealt with. They're going to come at you. Yeah. And he didn't have a plan to get away from the uppercut, and that's why he lost the fight. But anyway, yeah. having said that, uh, I, I like the way that McGee, still, he's still got a ways to go, and he better improve his early defense to not get blitzed by somebody. He, otherwise, he will. But I, I, I like the adaptation that he made and um, the adjustments that, you know, that he made uh, from being a one-dimensional stand in front of your power guy to way boxed a little bit, uh, yeah. and and that's how I saw it. Yep. Well, that covers the action. Um, one quick footnote: we don't have to discuss it. Congratulations, Regis Progress scores a third-round knockout. He'll keep marching back towards the title rematch. Um, hey, let Devin me say Haney. something about that. Sure. He's a, he's a slick guy. That Progress. Yeah. He's, he's got pretty good talent. Maybe more yeah. than pretty good. He really does. He's got a good IQ. He's got good technique. His people do a good job. I only saw a flash. I'm telling you, Ken. I didn't watch the fight. I saw a replay of a f flash. That's all I needed to see. He, it was a, he's a southpaw, right? It was yep. a sequence where he slipped a, he slipped a punch, and at the same time, he, he's, I got wheels on my chair, Ken, so don't, <laughs> uh, don't give me credit for being this fleet-footed. It's the wheels <laughs> on my chair. Full transparency. <laughs> so he slips the punch, and ooh, ooh at, the, uh, at the same time, see? He slipped, and at the same time as he slipped the punch, he, he slid to the side. It's the same. Not too many guys do that. He yep. slid to the side, and then bang, he threw a punch off that angle. That's smart stuff. That's yeah. high tech. That's high level stuff. And yeah. that's why he's a top guy. Or one of the reasons why he's a top. The only thing I would suggest to him is do it with your hands up a little better. So 
if you do get caught, you know, nobody's perfect. If you do get caught, you don't get caught clean. But yeah. the the guy, the guy's a talented guy. He fought a hell of a fight with that Josh Taylor. Um, yep. You know, and Taylor showed himself to be a really solid fighter too. Yeah. Uh, so he he's a guy who he'll be vying for a world title again. Uh, yeah. I think that that experience with Josh Taylor served him well, too, and knows he belongs in there with the top guys. And I love this kid. He's a world-class person, super sincere, trustworthy, and dependable. I consider him a good friend. Uh, Anyway, congratulations to Regis. Upcoming fight next week, we got Devin Haney in with Uriakis Gamboa. Both guys coming off surgery, coincidentally. Uh, surgery on the Achilles in January of this year for um, Uriakis Gamboa, an injury he suffered against Tank Davis. Yeah, he lost that fight in a 12-round TKO. He said they said he needed six months of recovery from the surgery. Coincidentally, Devin Haney had a shoulder surgery in uh, middle of December of 19, so of just exactly one month before. He also needed six months. So they're going to fight coming up, I think, next week. Um what are your thoughts on that one? This won't take too long. <laughs> this won't take too long. I didn't Stay think so. Stay with us, everyone out there. Um, first of all, it's it coincidental that the undefeated fighter, the the fighter with the juice behind him, right? Let's be honest. The fighter with the career behind him still. Again, Bo was terrific, but his career is past. A uh, lot of hype might, behind Haney. Yeah. So with the guy that's the, the house fighter, the guy that's the guy with the, like I said, with the power behind him. Isn't it funny how we heard all about his shoulder surgery, but we didn't really hear much about that uh, Gamboa is coming off surgery. We heard a lot about Haney. You know, yeah. he's coming off surgery. But we never heard about his opponent was also coming. But, but we again, we make sure that you do hear it, okay? So here, here it is. The reason you didn't hear about it is because the future is with Haney. They're, they, they're not thinking about Gamboa. Right now, Gamboa's a foil. I'm, I'm, I'm being honest. I mean, he's a guy that's used for us as the opponent for Haney coming off surgery because he's 17 years younger. Haney is 17 years younger. Gamboa's 38 and Haney's 21. 21. Now, I talk, I talk about the odometer. You don't judge a guy chronologically. You judge him by his odometer. You judge him by the amount of punches, the amount of he's taken, the amount of fights he's had. Well, let me tell you something. Gamboa is a shot fighter. I like him a lot. Fast hands. He was an Olympian. Gold medals from the great, great, great national Cuban team. Was the best amateur boxing team out there. He was a gold medalist. He was undefeated as a world champion. Smaller guy, featherweight. He's moved up. He, he had real great hand speed. A lot of heart, no doubt about it. But he, his, his, his ship has sailed. His day is gone. Let me, let me tell you something, Ken. This is a guy who in his last 10 fights, he's been dropped 11 times. I'll say it again. You, you heard me? He's been dropped 11 times in his last, yeah. I do the work. I do the research. By the way, he'll be 39 in one month. So worse, even worse. So yep. here... Here's a guy who his chin is not dependable. His heart is, but it's not dependable. He's coming off surgery. His last fight, he hung in there, showed a lot of heart with Davis. Davis didn't look good that night, uh, you know, Javante Davis. But he got stopped in the 12th round. He was on the floor three times. And he got hurt. 
So give him a lot of credit. He hurt his leg. Somehow, somehow he he got to the twelfth house, twelfth round. Part of it was the way Davis didn't look, look didn't look, and part of it was because of the heart of Gamboa. But I'm way here to give you the, you know, to give you, to give you really what it is that you need to be given in the in the breakdown of a fight. And I mean, what was we're, we're like Howard Cosell was years ago, saying it like it is, <laughs> telling it like it is, and at the end of the day, there's no real mystery about why, and other people do it, but why Hades people are picking. Gamboa as their fight back after a year off and surgery and making it well I won't even say the last part but there's no mystery about why they're making it because when you're coming back from that you want a safe fight here's the problem where it gets a little dicey okay everyone does that so they found a safe fight but usually it's not a safe fight for a world title challenge Usually it's a safe fight. You come back in the 10-rounder, you do it off TV, whatever, and you get that safe fight. Now you're ready to go. Everything's good. All systems go, Captain. Yes, sir. We're good. Shoulder's still there. Yes, sir. And and you you do it that way. But usually you don't, you're not arrogant or risky enough to come back in a world title. Well, you could be arrogant and you could be what it looks to be risky coming back in a world title fight as your first fight back when you know that you have a guy that is not a risk, a safe fight. It's not supposed to be a safe fight in a world title fight. That's the thing. And I'm just saying to the people out there that look to us for a little bit, we're not always right, but a little bit of whether it's to call my bookie or whether it's just to argue with their friends, their family, pick who they want to pick, it's going to be a go- or make a decision whether or not they want to watch the fight. I don't think it's going to be competitive, okay? Uh, Am I trying to hurt anyone's promotion? No, I'm doing what I do every day I do this. Saying what I believe. Not giving a damn who it bothers or doesn't bother. Just that it's what the fans should hear. That's all. I don't think it can be a competitive fight. I don't think that when I talk about not judging somebody's age chronologically, I look at how many fights he's had what his legs look like, what his chin is now, how he physically reacts to punches. I look at how many amateur fights he had. First of all, Gamboa has 33 pro fights. By the way, he's been knocked out three times. All his losses have been by stoppage. But he had about 400 amateur fights. I mean, this is a guy that Everything that has made him great, it's it's been used up. It's not it's not there anymore. Everything, all the physical assets and everything else that that were so great that separated him from everyone else, that made him a featherweight champion, a smaller guy than Haney. They they've had their day. They're they're in the past. And I just think that this is going to be a mismatch. 
Yeah. To be honest, I'm not trying to hurt no one. I'm, no, again, I'm doing fair. what I do, but and what I'm what I feel I'm supposed to do, but I can't see Gamboa at this point in his life. You know, at this point in his career, and and not only I see this, Hades people see. It. Why do you think they're taking him? <laughs> that's that's why they're taking him. So that's it. Um, well, I just think that the the finish I'll put on it is I think that huh, I talk about miles on the old diamond. I think sometimes it comes a time to park the car in the garage. <laughs> I'm not trying to stop someone from making a living. He's had his chance to make a living. But all I'm saying is, Ken, this is a dangerous business to begin with. And it comes a time to park the car in the garage while there's still an engine in the car. <laughs> and uh, I know it's sad, it's tough, but the truth of this business is often it's sad and tough. And you need to be honest and you need to face it before it becomes very sad and too late. And I, I just think that it's time sometimes, like I said, to park the car. And uh, well, that's it. Speaking of time to park the car, we saw an example of that, unfortunately. Wait, wait, say that night. again. You Bostonian, you. <laughs> say, say it again. Spe speaking of parking the car. Ah, uh, there it is. <laughs> unfortunately, park the car. Go park night, the car. <laughs> we saw a guy who took the car out of the garage one too many times last night, maybe more. Um, in Anderson, the Spider Silva, one of the greatest legends in the UFC. There was a point where he was untouchable, best in the world, miles ahead of everyone. He was in there with the tough and dependable Uriah Hall last night. And unfortunately for the Spider, he got tuned up. He got dropped badly. I think at the end of the second or third round, he got dropped. The bell sounded. He survived. He got dropped again at the opening of the next round, and um, Uriah put him away. Uh, very emotional at the end of the fight from both guys, actually. And uh, I know you had a chance to watch. Just wanted to get your thoughts there quickly. Okay. I'm no UFC expert. Start with that. I know we have the great fans have come to us. We've come to them. I admire these fighters so much and have learned more about them and very comfortable talking about them having them on our show, respecting what they do at the level they do it with the risks that they face, not just punches, knees, kicks, elbows. I mean, they're, they're, they're special, just like my fighters, fighters in my business, all fighters, they're special. These are special people. I'm not a UFC expert, but I'm a fight expert. I know fighting, whether it's UFC or... I, I know about winning, I hope. Otherwise, I shouldn't be in this business. If I don't know what I need to know, like Customato would have said to me, he'd say, Teddy Atlas, if you don't know that, you need to go and sell Italian ices on the corner. All right. You're right. You're supposed to know that stuff. If that's your business, you're going to take the responsibility to lead somebody in such a tough business. I also know when somebody's special. When somebody's different. 
I'll never forget this story. I told it once before. I'll tell it real quick again. I'm watching TV up in Catskill. I'm up there for almost eight years training fighters. And I got a moment to watch TV on a Sunday afternoon. And Cuz didn't know any sport other than boxing. He used to, he'd come in, I'd be watching a football game, trying to get away from everything for a minute because I had to train fighters seven days a week. Afternoons with the pros, night with the amateurs. Uh, all the time. He told me I was going to college. This is my college. And that's how you become great at what you're doing, by learning the right way from the beginning, doing an apprenticeship, and being committed to it seven days a week. So here I am watching. There was one day I'm watching football, just to give you a, a background, a context on this, with, that you can understand it. And Cuz comes, what's that? What do you mean, what's that? It's a football game. What's that ball? It's, it, it looks funny. Come on, Cuz, are you kidding me? It's a freaking football. What? <laughs> Why is it shaped like that? Uh, because it's a football. Cuz, leave me alone, please. Please. <laughs> I know I, I, I train in fighters seven days a week. Uh, give me a minute to watch. I don't know why you're watching that. So anyway, one day I'm watching the Olympics. Cuz comes walking in. And like I said, he didn't know anything but boxing. But he knew what winners were and he knew what specialness was, greatness was. He knew that. Because if you know one, you know the other. Because they're cousins. They're related. It's all within the same world, those traits. And sure enough, he walks in. I don't remember if it was Olga Corbett or, Olga Corbett or Nadia Kamenich. I'm not sure. Rob's going to confirm it for me. But I'm watching the Olympics. Nadia Komenich. There it is. I'm watching the Olympics, Ken, and I'm trying to be away from Cuss. I love Cuss, but I'm trying to be away from him. And I'm just sitting there, not bothering nobody, you know, and try to get away from boxing. And I'm just for a minute. And I'm watching, and all of a sudden, Cuss is standing next to me. And. He's standing, and he doesn't say a word. And there's Nadia Kamenich in what's become an iconic moment, an iconic picture where she's on a balancing beam. Her legs are over her and perfectly over her, all the way over her body in a contorted manner. And you just see her face with this look of intensity, of focus, and special strength. And she's there frozen in time. And Cus walks in, and he sees it, and he looks, he says, champion, and he walks out. The next thing I know, I don't know if it was on that particular you know, moment or right after it, she gets the first 10 in the history of Olympics in gymnastics. Yeah. The first 10 ever. And I look at Cus afterwards. I said, what, what made you say that? He said, say what? I said, you came in. You'd never watched anything in your life. You look two seconds. You said, champion. And you walk out. She, he said, you can always recognize greatness when somebody is special. You can recognize it in a flash if you know what the hell you're looking at. And that's, I heard from everybody since we've been doing the UFC and we've gotten 
more involved in doing it, Ken. I've heard from all the experts, because I listen to the experts. I heard from all the experts, Anderson Silva, the greatest of all time. Boom, period. Now, Liz, you got Alessandro, you got all those great talents that might, they still going to have a say before their career's over. But right now, for the body of work, they say, Anderson Silva, Teddy, greatest of all time. My guys, BJJ Fanatics, um, uh, 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 Dynamic Striking, that I do the videos, the, the instructional videos with, they say, Anderson Silva, Teddy, greatest of all time. So I went and I looked at his tapes because I want to see for myself. So I look at myself, and just like when Cus looked at Nadia Kamenich, it didn't take long. I watched some of his tapes. And as soon as I saw them, I said, champion, greatness, special. You know when you're seeing someone who is different. The same way as back in my sport, back in boxing in the 1920s, there's always somebody who is the first to bring you and bring the sport to that next place. A pioneer. Where gentleman Jim Corbett in the 20s came along and he was the first guy to move around the ring. Different. And then after him, Jack Johnson, the first black heavyweight champ, one of my greatest fighters of all time, but different. Not because of the color of his skin, of course. Different because of the way he did things. He was the first guy in, you know, it's always in a, you're evolving. You're, the sport, the business, society. You hope you're always progressing, evolving, changing. But there's people that are at the forefront of that change. These special people. And Jack Johnson was that person where all of a sudden, not only did he use his legs, he had defensive skills. He mixed defense with offense. Nobody did that. And he put punches together. Nobody did that. And he was charismatic. Oh, my God. He was, he was different. He was special. He was a pioneer. And then came along guys like Ali. Again, different. Different. You could even say Roy Jones when he was young. Different. They, they walked to their own drummer. To the beat of a different drummer. And when I saw Silva, I looked. I didn't have to have the expertise of, a, of these great UFC people that are out there. Bisbane, Michael Bisbane, and Joe Rogan, and DC, and I mean, Helwani. I mean, these guys are experts in their field. And, a, and a, the rest of them, tremendous. But I didn't need that to see what I saw and to recognize it and appreciate it and say different, special. And when I, when I watched him, he's a pioneer in this. I don't need to check with anyone. I, I, I just say he, he's, got, he's a pioneer because he did things that were never done before. Now other people are doing them with, with Alessandra and different guys I get you, John Jones came along. I get you. 
and he's still doing it at a late age. But this, unfortunately, some of the great ones, part of what makes them great is their belief in themselves, the ego, all of that. But sometimes they can't turn it off. And unfortunately, some of them stay too late. And it's always just as sad as it is the first time you see a great one that stays too late. Whether it's Muhammad Ali, whether it's Joe Lewis, whoever it is. And the silver falls greatness. The sad part is there will be people out there, young people probably, right? That will never know really his true greatness. It probably diminished the legacy of Ali and Joe Lewis a little bit. Not Ali as much. He was so iconic that maybe it didn't matter. But it matters a little bit. There'd be some people that had never realized how great he, he really was. And how great Joe Lewis really was. And that's... As much as you want to celebrate their greatness, it does make you cry about the way that they stayed too long and ended up where they will rob some of these young people from knowing their true legacy of greatness a little bit. And I saw it in the ring. I saw that when it's gone, it's gone, Ken. All the things that made them great, their sense of anticipation, their quickness, their speed, their calmness, their ability to read your mind, to know what you're doing before you know what you're doing, and be there for a split second, a millisecond before you're there. I'm sure I could see it, I could visualize it, where Anderson Silva normally when he looks to jump in and pounce like a leopard in the Serengeti, where he's just going to jump on his prey and get around the juggler, he does it where someone else couldn't do it from a distance, but he gets away with it. Why? Because he's got the speed, the anticipation. But then I see that he tries to do the same thing the other night with Hall. And take nothing away from Hall, solid guy. But he tries to do the same thing with Hall. But he's just late. And Hall takes a step back. And instead of him being on the juggler of the gazelle, and on the juggler of the water buffalo, instead he runs into the horns. Instead of being the hunter, he becomes the prey. And it's it's really sad because... You know that there was a time when he made that explosion closing that distance. He gets there. Someone else doesn't get there. It's too far away. And you could you get a guy like me saying, Oh, you're going from too far away. But not Silva. Because he knows he could do it. Because he's special. And he gets there. But this time now, he don't have that ability. And Hall steps back. And what happens? He falls short. Instead of getting on the neck of the water buffalo, he falls into the water hole. 
He just falls short. And Hall steps back, and to his credit, against the southpaw, which Silva is, he throws the right punch, the right hand, and he, he puts him down. And that's what you see, and that's what a lot of kids are going to see. And then afterwards, you see what you've seen before in this kind of ending that happens too often with the great ones that stay too long. You see Hall, a man of class, a man of character, a man of humanity. You see him on the mat with his head down next to the man that he honored, the man that he grew up idolizing, hoping he could be like him someday. You see him on the mat crying. Same way that Larry Holmes cried when he beat his idol, Muhammad Ali. The same way that Rocky Marciano cried privately in his locker room when he beat his idol, an old Joe Lewis. So it, it's, again, you see that. And the one thing that the great ones don't see, they don't see what we see because they can't. They mustn't. That's what makes them great. They are always the lion. They are lions, Ken. These are lions. And they're always the lion. They always feel they're the lion because that's what they are. They don't recognize that their teeth are no longer sharp or that their claws are no longer quick or their roar has been diminished and it no longer goes and penetrates through the, the air the way it used to penetrate. They are still the lion in their mind. That, that never leaves. They still are the kings of their kingdom, of their realm. And it's sad seeing old lions. When it was all over with, if you watched it the way I did, and you saw him in a ring all by himself looking around, that was a lion looking around. Again, I almost get emotional. That was a lion looking around. And he was looking at what was his kingdom at one time. The place that he ruled like nobody else ruled. Like nobody else ruled. And he was looking at it. And he probably was remembering the way he tracked down his prey. How magnificently, like nobody before him, tracked them down. And basically said, how dare you step into my realm. Into my kingdom. When I am the king. And you're looking at him, and I'm sure that's what he was seeing. He was seeing the visions, the old visions of him tracking down somebody who dared and finishing someone who dared come into his kingdom. And it was all over with. That's how... I want to remember him. He, I'm not a UFC aficionado. I'm just new to this business. But I'm not new to watching great ones. I want to remember him. Whatever his eyes were seeing, I want to tell him what I was seeing.
I was seeing a lion. Still a lion. Standing there in that cage. That's it. I just needed to say that. That was beautiful, and I'm sure that he will um, see that clip. And um, you mentioned in that, in that, um, in your description there, Israel Adesanya, someone who's a potential all-time great and who has said uh, multiple times that he looks up to Anderson. And actually, he was at the fight uh, last night, watching that fight in the uh, in the bubble, so to speak, wherever they were. Very few fans in attendance, but Israel was there. And after that fight, Dana White announced that Israel's next fight is going to be against none other than Jan Blahovich for the light heavyweight title. He's going to move up in weight, and that is a fight that I'm sure everyone's anticipating seeing. I don't think that there is a lot for um, Izzy right now at middleweight, given the fact that Whitaker's the number one contender, and he disposed of him pretty handedly the last time they were in there together. So Izzy, shout out to Izzy. He's getting a shot at the uh, being a two-weight division uh, belt holder, one of very few in the UFC, and uh, we'll look forward to see in that you got any thoughts on that uh, potential matchup well first I want to remind people that obviously we had Alessandra who him and his coach were gracious enough good enough to come on our show Eugene Behrman yeah if you if you haven't seen it you could obviously go to the archives and look it up and see it was a good interview he was what you would expect from a great champion he was honest <laughs> You know, I don't know how you're a great champion if you can't face truth. So he was very honest and forthright and said some things. I don't know if he's ever said them on an interview before. But it was really a privilege to have the two of them, good people, to have them on our show. And um, so we're, I'm a fan. <laughs> we're fans. But yeah. I'm a fan of all of them. I respect all of them f for what they do and the risks they take. And he's moving up in weight, right, Ken? He's moving up. Uh, he, yep. He's moving up in weight, which yep. the great ones do. They 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 move up, and he's moving up in weight from middleweight to light heavyweight. And look, the one thing I say: you can't sleep on anybody in the UFC. No. <laughs> That's one thing I say. As great as Alessandra is, and listen, he's special. He's got that twitchy talent, that twitchy DNA. To that that freaky talent and and to go with it the instincts the innate you know intelligence uh, and instincts that I think Crawford has great instincts in boxing I think he's got his greatest instincts as I think that's one of the things people don't see about him they see his reach and his length and his power and his physical abilities but they don't see that and that's one of the things that I see with Alessandra. He's got the instincts. He's got everything. He's got great talent, special talent, great intelligence, great eyes, where you see, and great heart, which most of them do. And supreme confidence. He's got the belief that I'm going to win. I know that sounds elementary, but it's not. And basic, but it's not. Uh, where I'm going to win. I'm going to, I win this way, I win that way, I win, or I'll find a way to win. But I'm going to win. And that's a power. That's the strength. Ali had it. And there's a power to that. And, but, so I like him. I'm going to favor him, even stepping up, because of what I just explained. The other guy is more of a conventional talent. 
if that makes sense. So standard. Yep. This guy's not conventional, Alessandro. He's not standard. You know, he, he walks to the beat of a different drummer, his drummer. But, and he can make wrong right, which the great ones can do. He can do something wrong that's not textbook, and he makes it right. He makes it right. But, and that's special. But his opponent and, and all of these guys at this level, they're experienced. They're fire tested. They've been forged in that fire. You can't sleep on none of them, Ken. On none of them. That's why you get a lot of upsets in the UFC. Yep. Because, because these guys all know how to fight. They've all been through the fire. Even their losses have been part of their journey to become winners. To, to learn what they need to learn, to forge what needed to be forged, to create what needed to be created. These guys, you can't count any of them out. So I'm, I'm sure, and the guys are naturally bigger, I'm sure Alessandro will be a favorite. I don't know what, what the line is. But I'm also sure that it'll be competitive. Um because all of these guys have the ability to come up with something to pull off an unpredictable result when you never thought that was going to be possible because of their character, because of their experience, because of what they are. So it should be interesting. I'll go yeah. with Alessandro, but it should be interesting. I'm with you. I agree 100%. Um, well, Teddy, we I think we covered everything. Uh, that was a long one. You got anything to add before we sign off? We didn't cover the the tomato garden you're growing in your backyard. We didn't talk about that. <laughs> the, but other than that, <laughs> yes, we, we covered everything. And I hope the people... Uh, I hope they like it, and they hope yeah. they understand why we go to such detail for them uh, to That's be right. just to the sport and to the athletes of the sport. That's right. Well, thank you, Teddy, for doing this on a Sunday. I hope everyone enjoys this one. We covered a lot of topics. Um, please keep the feedback coming. Subscribe, share the links, leave a review. It all helps. Thanks, guys, for being with us, and we'll be back next week.